from the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. To Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. And Magic Johnson is out there celebrating! Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe, from way outside. Got it! Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. Yes! It is all over. The Chicago Bulls have won. It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bouquet, and with me this week, I've got two special guests. It's going to be a Video Games of the Year pod for 2021. First up, I'll introduce a, a dear friend who joined me on last year's version of this, uh, of this podcast where we did Video Games of 2020. You can find him on Twitter at Shy Guy City, Matt Murray. Matt, thanks so much for coming on. I think I'm now officially a friend of the of a pod. I've never been able to say that before, so it's a pretty big deal. <laughs> yeah, happy happy to have you on for for the second time. Happy to make a, a tradition out of out of this podcast. And uh, we've uh, we've gone bigger this year. <laughs> and uh, we've added in a, a third member, another dear friend, Andrew Wilkins. You can find him on Twitter at Big Dogs Only, dog spelled B-A-W-G-S. Andrew, thanks so much for, for joining us and making this a party. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Uh, I'm, I'm super stoked. I've uh, never podcasted before, and as a 31-year-old male, I'm really glad to rectify that today and finally enter adulthood and, and to be, to you know, to be here with y'all. I'm stoked. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you, you only live once. So <laughs> <laughs> so to prepare for this episode, we all picked essentially four games that we really enjoyed or appreciated. But uh, Wilkins, since uh, you know, you're know you a first-time guest on the program, I figured why don't you get us kick-started here with one of your games that really made an impact on you in 2021. Yeah, totally. Uh, I'm able to start here. Uh, with unpacking, uh, and I played on the uh, Nintendo Switch. I kind of went with like a slight theme with my set of just like, uh, typically speaking, uh, I like these sort of shorter experiences, and I feel like this year in particular was a really good year for the indie space in the non-AAA space. Uh, I feel like unpacking, I don't know if the studio had done anything else. I had been following them on um, Twitter for quite a while and had been really excited about this and didn't really know what to expect beyond just the initial trailer of seeing, hey, you're unpacking some stuff, which seems like a really simple premise. And I think the game does a really good job. It's just that. You were unpacking boxes. So, um, and, and the game the mechanic is so simple, and I kind of wish I would have played on the PC just for ease of use. I mean, you're honestly just ripping stuff out of boxes, and it's it's really I'm trying to think about the best way to explain the mechanics simply too. I mean, it's just that, but like in terms of like the button pressing and a lot, it's very intuitive. My wife, who's not super into games, was able to pick it up and and play it within a few minutes, and um, yeah, I, I think. For something so simple to have uh, an impact on me, I think it says a lot about the game itself. And I love that the pixel art and just how dense it is. Like, I mean, looking at that game, it's some of the best pixel art, I think, ever. With Like, there's there's no question. And for me, I think the game 
heavily, heavily relies on, uh, you know, visual story elements. What, what's the emergent storytelling? Or uh, environmental uh, storytelling. Environmental storytelling, thank you so much. So, like, a lot of – the game doesn't give you a lot of dialogue. You start and you're sort of unpacking in a um, – you're a child and you obviously just moved into your, you know, what seems to be, like, your first room by yourself. And you quickly learn that you're a female and that you have these toys and these sets. And I think the game does such a good job of, like – you know, there's kind of two different rule sets. You can play with, like, a free, you can put stuff wherever, or you can play with, like, the game has sort of particular but not too specific sets of what you, where you need to play stuff. Um, so, you know, you'll open a box and find some toys, especially in the first couple areas, like some toys, so, you know, a camera, a journal. Um, and I like that the game does, like, a, you know, the, the stuff that we're all sort of aware of, like, hey, your diary goes in, like, a little drawer or, you know, it kind of, you know, there's there's particular places for certain things. Um, and the game doesn't have a lot of, like, rules beyond those very simple sets. Um, but, yeah, the, the game is is simple in nature, but I think there's enough there to, to chew on. Um, also, this game is also on Game Pass for those of us who have that service. I would highly recommend playing it there, especially if you feel like, this is something you do want to check out in the $20 price tag. Um, yeah, I ended up loving it. This is one of those things where I'm just like, holy shit. Like, between the pixel art and just also the music being very, very simple. And as you sort of play through these rooms, and, and you know, there's, what, 10 levels, give yeah, or take? Not even, uh, like, like seven or eight, I think, something like that. Yeah, okay. So right around there, there's, there's you go through eight different rooms, and every time you get done with the room, unpacking everything, the game will, like, sort of highlight objects that you need to place in the right thing. So you'll kind of go through these... These sets and, you know, no, no room takes more. I think the last room took me maybe 45 minutes, so nothing mm. more than that, which isn't too bad. I think I think on the PC it'd be a lot quicker. Um, and also I think it says a lot about us uh, as people, too, based on how you do it, uh, like unpacking. I don't know how y'all – y'all both played it, correct? Yeah. Yes. Um, if you did – did you – did y'all pull all the stuff out first and then set it around, or did you pull out one by one and set it where it needed to be, or did you – you know, what was your style of unpacking? So yeah, I played it with my wife, uh, mm-hmm. and we would we were switching. So like I would I did the first house, she did the second house, so on and so on. Um, and yeah, that was fun because yeah, we did definitely have different styles. Uh, you know, near the end, especially with like the, the kitchen, how many utensils and appliances you have. I was trying to shove stuff in really dumb places just to get it out of there. <laughs> she was meticulously like put. It, well, I'm going to put the cookie jar up there, and I was like, no, 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 just shove it in the back. Who cares? It's too big. We need space. Um, so that was really cool. Yeah, I, I don't. Biggs, what was your unpacking style? Yeah, I basically did it room by room, and yeah, box by box. And funny enough, like yeah, at times you'll, especially once you get past like the first couple levels, you know, you're dealing with you're more of an adult at that point. Mm-hmm. So you're dealing with not only having to just unpack for for a bedroom for a kid, but also like you need kitchen utensils and all of that sort of stuff but you might just happen to grab that out of a box when you're unpacking in the bedroom Mm -hmm. so typically what i would do is i would just get get everything out in a specific room and then once i finished that then i could move on and and go to those other areas but one thing i wanted to mention about the game that i think is really neat is Again, Wilk, you mentioned that you start kind of as a child, and it's based in kind of like the, what is it, the mid-90s in the beginning? Seems like it. I think they're like our age, I think, based on like the GameCube games and the DVDs you see in the mm-hmm. game. Yeah. Right, and, and that's what's really neat is not only are you sort of progressing through 
a, a typical person's lifespan from from a kid to a young adult to maybe an older adult, but then you're also sort of progressing through the popularity of video games as well, and mm-hmm. and they do a good job of showcasing that. Uh, so yeah, it is it is really neat. And then you also have things where um, you'll have toys reappear over multiple levels, which is also sort of a neat thing where it's like, oh, yeah, there are certain things that we just treasure and keep over the course of our lives, even if it isn't necessarily useful anymore. Uh, I do just we, we can't go this the segment without talking about when she's dating that dude. Like we have. Well, that's a, oh, <laughs> oh. It, that's like the thing I was going to talk about is like to interject is like you get you four or five in. You get to a step where you go like you have. I love the aspect of it too, of like uh, of Garrett. You were mentioning too of like carrying over these toys and they get a little bit more worn. And also watching this woman develop into like going to. I would assume it's in uh, also in in England. Am I am I mistaken? Is that a weird thing to say? That's how I was reading it a little okay. bit, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. I feel like there was a mention of text when you complete a level based on the room you're in. You'll when you complete a level and you hit this sort of star, this very big kind of like it'll give you a different piece of dialogue based on whatever room you're in at the end. Um, and I think one says going to university, so either Canada or England. But mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you, you go to college, you go through all these things, and I love that you get to see her develop her hobbies of obviously like cosplaying and. Also, like having a GameCube, and like I had such a nostalgia trip for seeing those games, and they're they're so well rendered in the it's pixel art. The fact that you can tell like what they're supposed to be without them actually like I could see Mario Kart Double Dash and Simpsons yeah, Hit course. Run. Yeah, that was. Yeah, so... there's Animal Crossing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the, the you get to a point where you obviously move in with your first partner, and. It is the most dude ass like. There's this city, city skyline. The kitchen's all like this. It has this like very um like everything's black. And the thing that fucking kills you is that you there's no place for you to put your fucking degree. An yeah. object that you start moving with obviously after post university or college. Mm-hmm. There's a degree and there's no place to put it. the game. Well, you, you're like, where am I gonna put this? Yeah, yeah. I think you open it up in your bedroom mm-hmm. and the place the game lets you put it. At least for me, was underneath the bed. And I just had this moment of like, <laughs> so I yeah I I just want to say yeah we put it under the bed. That's where we figured it out. But another friend of ours, uh, Colin, he told me Ooh. that you can also put it in the bathroom, which is also very oh. – dis- like, that destroys me. <laughs> like <laughs> That's it, heartbreaking. It, well, and again, like, you know, I'm married to an artist, so, like – because that's clearly what her degree is. It's in some kind of graphic design or art or something. And just how not valued she is by her partner, and it's – it's like, the way the game tells you that is – I've never seen anything like it. Like, this game doesn't have much gameplay going on. It literally is, mm. as Wilkins said, just unpacking. But it's all the little details that make it and just how it tells its story. I've never seen anything like it, ever. Well, yeah, and, and another thing I'll add, too, just for the people that haven't haven't played the game yet, is essentially you don't know if an item is in the wrong place or if you mm-hmm. put it in the wrong mm-hmm. room or whatever until you've unpacked literally everything that you have in the boxes, and then mm-hmm. the, the items will actually blink red. Um, and that was one of the, the challenges I occasionally had, because I don't know if you guys struggled with this as well, but there were occasional items where I'd pull it out of the box and I'm like, 
I have no idea what that item <laughs> yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't really have much of an idea until right it starts blinking, and you're like, well, whatever this is, it does not belong in the bathroom or the bedroom uh-huh. or, or, or you know what have you. I think there was some kind of yoga mat or something that we were confused by. And it was it definitely was, a yoga mat. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and, I, and I only know that as somebody who's who's you know going through a 30-day yoga challenge. There was a handful of objects. That's that's also why I add, whether it being British, I feel like there were a handful of items that if all three of us don't know what it is, and even our partners, my wife also played this game, are unfamiliar with, I think there has to be some sort of like, especially in the bathroom, there were a handful of items like, I think I know what this is. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple stuff in the kitchen, uh, a couple items in the kitchen that was also like, what is this? Like, right. just blank, like, uh, uh, okay, and yeah, there's that bit of a confusion of being like, I think I know where this goes based on some context clues, but also, like uh, Garrett mentioned, there's a couple times where you get a box, and you're like, oh, it's in the wrong room, which is a very normal thing to have happen, as well as you, you know, if you do move a handful of times, if you're familiar mm-hmm. with that experience, you'll be like, oh, shit, I can't believe I put this in here. You're just stuffing stuff in a box at some point. Everyone thinks, so that's why this game did such a good job to me of conveying that as somebody who's moved twice or three times in, in recent memory of just being like, I don't care. Put it in this box. I'll get to uh-huh. it when I get to it. Like, <laughs> I don't care anymore. I don't – where the cheese grater will be fine next to my house. <laughs> and that's I – think, I think that's the thing is like the, 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 sto- the environmental storytelling gets much, much better because then uh, you, you break up with your boyfriend, the shitty mm-hmm. guy in his shitty apartment, and then you go back to your childhood room and – there's a picture of your ex, and I couldn't figure out where to fucking put I, it. I couldn't figure that out either. We sat there for, it, like, over seven minutes, just, like, where do we okay. put this damn thing? And, and I think that also does help, and I think that's – even if that it was a little confounding to me, I do think that helps with the experience of feeling like, where do you actually put something like right. this? That is hard for you to separate from yourself as you're doing – and once again, there's no dialogue that lets you know that, lets you know that any of this is happening. It's all based right. on the objects you're pulling out of these boxes. And it is very – I think the game has a very tactile feel of just like you open the box up, and it, like, I think the way that like it sort of cuts between these in the pixel art of like – click the box, open box, pull the stuff out. And like, it, it's very, very easy and intuitive to get through it. And I think that helps with like all this, these elements and seeing your toys and seeing your stuff. And I, going back to what I was trying to say about like, as somebody who's moved recently, the experience of doing that and how nice it is to unpack the stuff and not having to deal with any of the bullshit, which is the worst part about moving is packing your stuff. Right. It is such a hassle. It is such a pain getting rid of stuff. And this is like all the, the, the fun parts of of doing that, which it, it's funny to play something that it sounds so simple. But I think there's um, I think that says a lot about where we are currently in gaming in society, where there's a lot of these experiences that we're probably going to talk about today or that are available in general on all these platforms are really honed in on really, really simple experiences and, like, the joys of them of, like, pulling back and thinking about what you're doing. Uh, Even if it's, like, I'm trying to think of something else, like, you know, I think um, there's a lot of experiences on Steam, too, of, like, here's the car washing simulator, and it's, like, who cares about this? But it's, like, when you do it, you're, like, oh, this is really, really, like, cathartic and very nice and very soothing. And I felt very, I, I felt like this was one of the more chill games, though I was anxious at certain points to, like, move through it. Um, And it wasn't as chills of an experience as I was hoping for, but I think the um, the push into the the narrative structure there, uh, the, the slight narrative structure, for you to go through, and then by the last house when you're like, oh, there's a there's a child's room, right? I was like, oh my gosh, and then <laughs> it, 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 that was very very. 
I don't know. Uh, there was a moment of like joy that this person had found another partner and you sort of unravel all this slowly too. And, and I think it's all very fun. I think from what I could tell too, your partner's a bit younger than you. It, w- it wouldn't surprise me, but yeah, I don't remember. And I believe you realize too that your partner's also a female. Yes. Um, that is okay. apparent because of like the underwear. Like all of a sudden you yes. have like double the amount of panties. Yeah. Yeah, you're like, oh, and like that's what I mean. Like, they the game doesn't have to show you that or tell you that or make you so aware of that too. Um, I also do really love the aspect of like the dream scenario of being like, here's my D and D sets, here's my my Uh Game Boy Advance, here's my like. It it felt almost a little Sims, but like you do Mm -hmm. realize that like you're like, oh, this is so cool. You can put all this stuff, and you get to kind of customize the rooms the way you think they would use them too, which I think speaks a lot again to your own. There's there's elements of customizing, putting yourself in here, and I think a lot of us can relate to moving as you just moved across the you know literally the world. Uh, You know, there's there's a lot of that. Like I don't know, I'm I'm. Tripping over like a couple thoughts here, but I, I feel like th- for me there was a real emotional experience and emotional payoff at the end. You get to the point at the end of this game, you see that she's found a new partner. She see you see that she's you know I think confronted her or, or gone through some you know sexual identity experience, which is also cool. Like feeling out like her preferences and who she feels as a person to then have this really nice payoff of this at the ending scene of uh, her. There's a ukulele that travels with you, and she, at the end, you get this nice little still. And at the, the final house takes a little bit longer, and you get to this nice little still at the end of the game of you, your child, and your partner hanging outside. And it's just like, oh, it was just really sweet to me. It made me tear up a little bit. And it's not like the most emotional game I've ever played. I just feel like it hits a lot of high notes with a really, really simple premise and like some simple mechanical stuff that I feel like for me is just kind of what I'm looking for in 2022, that it doesn't it's it's hitting a lot of notes, even if they're not super, super high. And it's not like the most there's not a lot a crazy amount of depth here. But I feel like for a, a what, four hour experience, you could do so much worse. And I think they, they really nail a lot of what they set out to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you guys have both uh, sort of hit on the idea that, yeah, like at times it's it, it does hit on that sort of relaxing, cathartic vibe or feel that you would want out of a game. Um, I don't know if anyone really has mentioned like the idea of like the sound effects that you get from oh, actually yes. opening yeah. the boxes and pulling stuff out. It's very like a satisfying sound. But like I was trying to explain this game to another friend of mine and basically, you know, am describing it. And, and I think he couldn't get through his head that like unpacking is a stressful experience. So he couldn't possibly imagine uh, a game called unpacking being relaxing. But in a lot of ways it is. But then also, as you said, given the the stories, the story beats at times, and then also um, having to actually figure out where items go, and, and, and at times being like, I have no idea where this should go. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at times, it does provide a little bit of that that actual stress that you would feel unpacking yourself. So let's move on then to uh, to Matt. Let's let's hear your first game. All right, I'm going to get the games that only I played out of the way. <laughs> Um, cool. Just to have more interesting stuff later. Uh, so the first game I'm going to talk about, uh, Shovel Knight Pocket Dungeon. Um, I know Wilkins has played a little bit of the base Shovel Knight games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, th- I always thought they were okay, Shovel Knight and the three expansions. I think a tiny bit overrated. So, like, a falling block puzzle Shovel Knight spinoff, like, it wasn't on my radar at all. Um, I right away I could tell it had good pixel art and stuff, and then 
I think the last trailer they put out in early December, um, the music was so good that I instantly bought it just on the music. Um, so it went from not even being something I was considering getting to, I think this is my favorite falling block puzzle game, like of all time. It's a roguelite where instead of, you know, with a falling block game, you're usually just moving the pieces around and rotating them. Um, in this, the falling blocks are the, are enemies and they're all taken directly from the Shovel Knight games. Like there's beetles, there's enemies in armor and stuff like that. Um, you don't control where they go necessarily. They just fall down the board and then you control a little dude moving around the board. So you start off with Shovel Knight, but there's over, there's like a dozen different characters and they each have different traits. Um, but it works a lot like other falling block games where you can chain together combos. So like if you have like four beetles connected, hitting one of them hits all of them. Um, it ends up being more like an RPG. Like it's an action RPG roguelite falling block puzzle game, uh, which is a lot. But so like when you attack, you attack by bumping into the enemy and then you do a certain amount of damage. And, but if the enemy survives, they also hit you back. So it becomes this balance of moving around the board, figuring out which enemies you can score the biggest combo on, biggest damage on, and then retreating and finding potions to heal yourself. Um, where it gets really cool is that each character is like completely different. So you have really simple variations. Like there's an, or there's a character, uh, that if you attack from below, he does extra damage. Um, but then you have really complicated stuff. Like there's a dude who you want to hit single enemies instead of hitting chains. And then every single enemy you kill gives you plus one attack bonus. And then that resets after you destroy a chain. So if there's like a huge chain of enemies that eat, that would kill you in one hit, you can just go around the board, zooming in on single enemies, killing each of them, then killing the big chain in one hit, uh, and just getting rid of that whole threat. Um, just like any other roguelite, there's a shop. You unlock permanent upgrades there. There's also chests you can use keys to open that give you temporary power-ups. Um... Yeah, I, I, there's not much for me to say on, on it. I basically just described the whole game. Like, it's, it, it's just a falling block puzzle game. Um, but it's really those roguelite elements and those shovel knight elements that really, really make it something special. I think it's my favorite rogue related thing since Hades. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, it's saying a lot because there's some good roguelites, uh, in 2021, Returnal in particular, though. Returnal is not on this list because I think it's roguelite elements or it's weak as aspect anyway. Um, I think the only real complaint I have with the game is that, you know, a big joy of roguelite games is unlocking all these new things that you can then run, run into on your next attempt. In Shovel Knight Pocket Dungeon, I had all of those unlocked within like two hours. Mm. They did say that they're doing DLC this year, so I'm hoping that gets addressed. Um, it's a really small complaint in the grand scheme of things. You can do a lot of cool builds in the game. So like you can have, you can play as Plague Knight who poisons with every attack and then give him, uh, an item that boosts poison damage. I think the coolest character in the game, uh, it's Tinker Knight who starts off with the lowest health and he, there's nothing remarkable about him initially. 
But some blocks in the game aren't enemies. They're just like rock or dirt or stone blocks that are just there to fill up your board. Um, if you destroy those, you get like ore. And if you build up enough ore, you can construct a mech. And then your mech is just basically indestructible. It only lasts for a certain amount of turns, but Tinker Knight goes from the weakest character in the game to all of a sudden he's by far the strongest. Um, and just timing that with like, oh, there's this amount of enemies on the board. I need to save my ore until there's a big combo going. Uh, it's super cool. I guess the only other other complaint I have with the game, uh, the onboarding process is not very good. I don't think I've ever in recent memory had an experience with a game where I was so sure that I was an idiot. Um, I couldn't get past the first two levels of the game for a few hours. Hmm. It's partially my fault. The game gives you plenty of difficulty options, and uh, it encourages you to experiment with those and find your ideal experience. But, yeah, I went from not being able to make it past the first two levels so I can beat the whole game without being knocked out once. So you learn, and the learning is very fun, but it's a rough onboarding. But, yeah, I don't know if you all have anything else to say about what I just said about Shovel Knight. I know you all didn't play it, but that's basically all I've got. Right, I, I didn't play it, so can't say much, but just it, it does sound like a fascinating thing, and uh, a, a falling bo- block puzzle game that I did play a lot of in 2021 would be Tetris 99, and that was mm. really my first sort of experience with that whole genre, because uh, crazy enough, I'm also into my 30s and have, have not played a falling block game really before. Uh, but, uh, yeah, like, Shovel Knight originally is more of like, what, an action-adventure type of game, right? So the mm-hmm. what, what intrigues me about what you just described is sort of the combination of genres that you have going there, where you have potentially some, some action elements, some puzzle elements, and, uh, you know, mixing, mixing all of that stuff in, in kind of a unique way, where a lot of it, it, it seems to still be about pattern recognition, but... In, in a more complicated sense. It really is like a straight up, it is an action RPG, like turn based. So it's almost like, it's almost like Final Fantasy VII, but you are just locked into like a grid. Um, hmm. It's very interesting. It's also, it's like the East games, the YS uh, games where the old ones where you just, you bump into enemies to do damage and you trade damage kind of thing. Um, the only other puzzle game I can think of off the top of my head where you control the character on a board is Wario's Woods on uh, the NES and Super Nintendo, which I only played that because it was in the original Animal Crossing on GameCube. But, um, yeah, I would say if you've ever been interested in like trying to get into more puzzle games, like I said, this is probably my favorite falling block puzzle game of all time now. Um, and also just, you know, it's a roguelike, so there's an actual ending as opposed to like Tetris where it can just keep going infinitely. Um, there's stuff to unlock. The aesthetic is really nice. As I mentioned before, the soundtrack is like amazing. They got the Shovel Knight composer, Jake Kaufman, to come back and do this. And it's like, it's mostly remixes of the old Shovel Knight music, but a lot of it is more of like an electronica feel. Um, specifically the Propeller Knight stage. I start playing the game like a rhythm game in that stage. I can't, like, I just start pressing the buttons to the beat of the music, and it's very satisfying. It's it's a really, really neat game. If it ever goes on sale, I'd probably recommend it to both of you. 
Yeah, I, I definitely want to check it out as somebody who's kind of slowly but surely working the, their way through the uh, Shovel Knight games. It's it sounds very up my alley, and uh, no, I mean it's it's a it's a strong recommendation, especially uh, especially given the roguelite elements. It just sounds like a really really neat and unique package uh, overall. All right, so I'll get to my my first game on my list, and it's a game called Glyph. And uh, I know Murray has played this. Wilkins, have you have you played this at all? I haven't. I uh, watched quite a bit of Murray mastering what seems like some uh, more difficult challenges on Twitter. Yes, um, and and Murray was the one that uh, that introduced me to this game. It's uh, I would describe it as what a physics like uh, a 3D sort of platformer that's physics based. Yeah, it's uh, for anyone familiar. It's like a marble game. That's kind of like a subgenre of platformers and whatnot. It's it, it's a marble game. Yeah, and you essentially are, you're kind of like a beetle, almost. Yeah, um, a robot where, beetle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, and <laughs> so um, basically, it's it's a pretty simple thing where, yeah, you're, you're rolling around like a marble, and you're essentially having to get from one part of the stage to another while collecting coins and gems and, and other things like that, and essentially the anything that isn't, a platform is lava, so you die instantly if you don't land on one of the specified safe areas. And so you have to utilize the rolling mechanic, uh, and, and obviously a lot of the levels as the game progresses, it becomes less and less about flat surfaces and very angled surfaces, which makes things more difficult. Um, but then, you know, it... It mixes things up in terms of you can you can actually do like a ground pound to bounce your your marble body against the ground and get some elevation and then you can also you also have wings so you can glide through the air and it's just one of those games where the feel of everything is just pitch perfect like the the rolling around the bouncing the gliding it's all it's all really satisfying and what makes it really challenging is that you're also basically in complete control of the camera as well with the right stick. So at times you can be going from one platform to another, and you've got to be not only making sure that you land successfully, but moving the camera so that you know, um, you know, sort of the trajectory that you need to that you need to utilize. Yeah, it's um, Super Monkey Ball is one of my favorite series of all time we'll talk about that in my honorable mentions um but glyph i think like it is the best marble game i've ever played um the only thing i really have to add well for one uh another mechanic of the game is that you can have a double jump but it goes away once you use it and you need to like refresh it on certain points there's like glowing spots or there are like hoops in in midair that will go through them and it refreshes both your flying and gives you your all your jumps back um, and it creates some really, really cool things, really like aerial focused, um, like platforming, like you'll take your time climbing up all these floating platforms and they're all, you know, wobbling and going completely around based on the physics and where you are on the platform and you'll steadily climb this huge staircase almost of these floating platforms. You'll get to the top, then you have to, you have to slam down and then start moving forward, and then glide, and then double jump, and get through a hoop, and then you have to divert right and go through another hoop, and all just, it's 
so cool. I know the team, um, they're a very small team um, in Europe. Bulwark Games, I think they're called. Um, I don't know how in a year of some really, really good 3D platformers, I know we've got at least one other one to talk about, um, that this like small little $20 marble game ended up being uh, probably the one I was like most addicted to. The time trials are so good. Um, yeah, like Book said, the physics are just amazing. Uh, it, they feel floaty at first, but because of how much time you're in the air, you need it to be that floaty. I think some people get turned off from how floaty it is because it doesn't feel as tight. But yeah, for how the levels are designed, it is absolutely perfect. Yeah, you brought it up briefly that, yeah, there are specific levels that are designed to be speedrunning levels that you have mm-hmm. to complete in a certain amount of time, and then there are other ones where it's the, the, the sole objective is to just collect all of the items and, and complete the level. So the fact that they, they mix that up uh, really makes it so the game doesn't feel too monotonous. And then also I, I was really impressed with, like, even the level select area. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it feels like they put as much time and effort into that. It's this huge, um, expanse, expansive area, and you're able to, through picking up gems in the levels, then unlock new areas in the level select screen. Um, and it's a 3D world in its own right. So, uh, yeah, I, I think the attention to detail, the feel of the game, and then also, yeah, mixing it up where, um, yeah, you've got your, your, um, Heart pounding with the with the speed run sections, and then you've also got some of the more careful, deliberate modes. I think makes it uh, makes it all the more entertaining and and fun, and 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 made me put in like twenty plus hours into it. Um, yeah, one other thing I wanted to say, real quick, I guess two things. Um, I brought up Monkey Ball earlier, and I it's kind of an unfair comparison because yeah, Monkey Ball is so arcadey, like every level is you're done within a minute. Um, and you're constantly dying. I mean, you will die a lot in Glyph, um, but it's way more of a, like, atmospheric and, uh, like, thoughtful experience. I would most compare, uh, the actual world and environment to something like Metroid Prime, which I realize sounds crazy for a game where you're like a robot beetle flying around, but, um, it's like this big barren wasteland, but you can see where there used to be life and you can like, there's ruins. You can see what uh, was apparently like skyscrapers and like, it's all buried under sand now, but um, they really like your, your whole task is that you're looking for signs of civilization and trying to find out what happened. And obviously I don't expect, you know, all the dialogue in the game is optional. Basically. I don't think probably many people would bother with it, but uh, I was genuine. I was just into the world, even without, dialogue uh it's just a cool cool little world my my final comment i or final thing i had in my notes for this game and i know murray we've we've talked about this before but there was one particular level that i would say is like part pro and part con of this game is the level with like the flying centipede um oh god there's, uh, yeah, there's this particular level where you, you obviously have to still go around and collect all the coins and collect all the gems, but then there's this giant flying centipede in the middle of the stage that shoots, like, electrified balls at you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at times even, like, you feel like you're protected behind a wall where the balls can't get you, but they just, like, seemingly go through the wall. 
Um, I, uh, I, I got very frustrated. It probably took me over an hour to just beat that level alone. So, so, you know, it, it obviously was, was, uh, annoying at times, but it's also probably the level I remember the most coming out of that game. So one thing with that, I don't know how many, we didn't, we didn't touch on it, but one of the collectibles you can get are like avatar capsules. So you can change the look of glyph. Like you don't, you don't have to be a beetle. Like I, I think most of the time I was like a little floating pumpkin and stuff. Um, but these avatar capsules are always in like the hardest to reach spots in the level. Um, and you also have to, you have to then beat the level without dying while holding the avatar capsule to actually unlock it. The avatar capsule on that level with the giant centipede, it's on, it's like at the back of the centipede. It follows him around. So you have to like find a, like a high enough perch to where you can like drop down onto the avatar capsule without touching the insect because you'll just explode if you do that. But also you need to make sure beneath you there's solid ground. And then you actually have to beat the level, which yes, is hands down the hardest level in the game. That took me, I believe, over an hour and a half just to get the Avatar capsule, and my wife almost divorced me in the process. <laughs> Brutal. Yeah, um, the uh, the Avatars. Uh, I mean, I know, um, you know, Murray, you're more of a completionist than I am. So there were there were times where you know there were times where it's like, oh, this seems doable. I'll, I'll go for it. And then there were other times like that that level in particular. I'm like, there's there's no way I'm doing this. I'm just <laughs> I'm just getting out of here while I still can. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so Wilkins, let's hear uh, let's hear the next game on on your list. Yeah, for sure. Uh, did either of y'all do p- or play Toem? No. No. Okay, perfect. That'll that'll be the next one up. So uh, Toem, another Switch game, and you'll notice here uh, another photography game, which I have two on my list this year. So um, I feel like there's a there's something going on there. But um, it's a really really simple um, sort of puzzle game with like it's it's all black and white, almost kind of like a hand drawn. Um, sort of like animated feel to it um the uh the perspective is really unique too it's like third person but the the main mechanic is very early on in the game it's a very simple setup uh i believe your a relative says you need to go out and explore the world and hands you a camera and you go out in the world and you explore the camera so you get this very very um uh heige or hagi the swedish term for like cozy um, so like, you know, when people, there, it has that feel to it. It's very, very warm. Uh, it's very, very cute. And I really like the art style and just kind of how everything works together. But it's, it's all, everything revolves around taking photos. So every challenge, all the mechanics sort of are just you using your camera to solve pretty simple puzzles given to you by the people in that area. And when you complete these challenges, you'll receive like a token. I'm trying to remember. I think it's stars. And once you get enough of those, you can progress to the next area. So you start off in your village, and I think it's like, take a photo of a cow. And you're like, oh, okay, there's the cow over there. You get your little camera, which I think is just, it's really and, – and that's you, – you'll go you'll go to the screen. You can zo- zoom in and out. Like Even the camera mechanics are pretty simple. Um, they'll, they add on a couple other uh, mechanics with that. You get a honk, and you get another mechanic as well. And the honk you can use – and you use these two little elements to kind of get in there and, and to mess around with – uh, a lot of the uh, the elements and the people in the world. Everyone's, um, yeah, it's all very sweet and very simple. The music is super, super pleasant. And the game just has a very, very positive, I don't know, simple feel. If you've ever seen, um, is it Helga? 
is the name of it on Netflix. It's an animated show. It has a very similar feel to that. Hilda. 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 Yes, Hilda. Hilda. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. So you you have these things too. So you, I mean, like I said, you have a flip button, take a photo. You have your honk mechanic, um, and, and it it's just very simple puzzle solving in a variety of of elements. There's a um, like a seaside town, there's a big city, there's a mountainous area, um, and also the music is done by a bunch of uh, various like lo-fi hip-hop people. So it's uh, across the board a bunch of different people, and it's just another very chill game. Uh, another four to five hour adventure. I just couldn't get enough of it while I was playing. I think I beat it all in one sitting, and and I think I I, I went and platinumed it. I um I, maybe I said I played this on the Switch. I actually played this on the PS5, but I believe it's also on the Switch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Okay, perfect. Uh, I think it, it, it premiered on an indie direct or something. Sorry. No, that's that's very helpful to know. And and it, like I, the, the challenges get a little bit more. Um, Difficult as time goes on, but nothing ever too crazy. I did have to look up two solutions, I think. Uh, there were a couple that are, were a little bit more cryptic, um, but it, it's, you know, I don't want to, I think a lot of the joy of it is seeing what the puzzles evolve into. And I think that's like half the joy of playing this game is getting into a new area. Um, there's some persistent puzzles that go with you from area to area uh, about finding some ghosts in the world. Um, and you know, and you use the uh, the honk mechanic very interestingly a couple times, but interacting with the world and the, the fun sort of funky sort of off color characters is really really nice. Um, mm-hmm. The music, like I said, is very pleasant. You can kind of change around the soundtrack a lot, and the platinum's fairly simple. But I think in a year that has been so stressful, I think a lot of the through line with my experiences are just sim- it is simple stuff. And I think getting back and kind of pulling away from some of the layers of the more complicated things. Um, I know none of us have listed it, but like. You know, a lot of the AAA experiences the last couple of years for me have been so mechanics driven or so and then weaving that into a narrative with story that sometimes it can be a little overwhelming. Um, I mean, I, I loved playing The Last of Us, too. But by the end of that, uh, it's 30 hours. There are multiple stories. You're, you're going through a lot. And this game has a lot more. That's it, it, such a harsh comparison. But to him, I think again, seeks out a very, very simple mechanic of cameras and taking photos, and they're silly and they're kind of goofy, and they do a really good job with that and creating this very atmospheric world while you're... I think the, the, the core story is you're looking, you're trying to get to the peak of the the nearby mountain that's like part of your journey, very similar to like a short hike, whereas I think it's something from what I recall is like, you know, a, a cultural thing that everyone does at a certain age or uh, at some point in this culture, and yeah, I, I think if you're looking for like a little slice of a, a very chill game, and e- even then, like I'm not a big uh, photo guy or photo mode person in, in video games, and I think this is taking a camera element and really simplifying it to a really, really fun and tactile and very easy way, like easy, easy use there. Yeah, uh, I will say Toem was pretty high up my list of games I just didn't get to that I wanted to last year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, from that re- initial reveal trail, I just remember, ooh, what's this? Like, it, it looks basically exactly up my alley and I, obviously up your alley too. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I don't have a whole lot to say on it. I didn't, I haven't really watched any footage just because I want to play it myself and it's a puzzle thing at its core. Um, I will just say, yeah, it looks absolutely delightful. I love the style. Um, the developers, they, in that reveal trailer, they're, interviewed or whatever they seem really sweet it just it just seems like a really really like nice feel good time um i do i like that we're entering this age of like cameras actually being a mechanical 
gameplay thing, at least more often. Um, I mean, yeah, it's funny. This Pokemon Snap and Umaranji generation all mm. in the same like year or around that span of time. Um, that's just really neat. I'm really glad we're seeing that. It, it, it's to, to touch on one more thing is like even in one of those uh, co- either the Cozy Directs or another Nintendo Direct, there were four or five other photography based even Pokemon Snap clones. So it's funny watching, I think, uh, our age generation and slightly older who have a very fondness for not even just Pokemon Snap, which we'll get to later, but like mm-hmm. just camera driven things that don't, that aren't into like the aperture. And that's, that's what's funny. Like, uh, Umarangi is so much more advanced of like exposure and a lot more of the mechanics, right. you know, camera mechanics. And this is so much more about like click a button, zoom in or out. And it's like, I even think the menu for the camera is really, really sweet and simple. And like, same with all mm-hmm. the things you're getting stamps on a little postcard here and they're all like i said all the challenges and everything is very fun and i think for a four to five hour experience for twenty dollars it's it's so well done and it's so cute and it's so high key and it's so warm and just like a, a very very cozy game mm-hmm. yeah you you had me as soon as you compared it to hilda so i'm, I'm definitely interested in, in, in trying it out mm-hmm. um all right matt let's let's get to the next game on your list all right we're gonna pull this band-aid off because i think wilkins didn't I think you both played like the first like hour or two of Metroid Dread. Well, I know Boogs, you yes. probably, you put in more time into it than that, but you got lost. Um, yeah. So I'll just say, a fan of Metroid games for over two decades now. Uh, I specifically remember uh, Electronic Gaming Monthly. The first issue that I ever bought was their 150th issue, which was the top 100 games of all time, and. You know, I was just getting into games. That came out when I was 12, I think. I was just trying to get into games in like a major way. I had just got a GameCube for my birthday, and I, you know, that was the year where gaming became like my thing. It wasn't just something I did to like on a rainy day or at night. This was like, oh, I want to play games a lot more, and I want to experience. I want to dig into the history of games, and that issue was like a bible to me. I still have that issue. Well. It's back in America right now, but it's still sitting tucked away in my stuff. Um, and their number one game of all time was Super Metroid. And that, you know, that launched me on this quest to uh, experience it. And so, yeah, I've been a fan of the series ever since I played Super Metroid. Um, specifically, I think Metroid Fusion and Metroid Zero Mission on the Game Boy Advance uh, were like some of my all time favorites. Uh, I think, you know, I was 13, 14 when those came out. I played those games to absolute death. Train rides, car rides, I was just playing Metroid Fusion or uh, Zero Mission. Um, you know, the series kind of died for a while there. Uh, I don't think it was because of Nintendo not having confidence in it. I think it was more a matter of, by the time the series kind of took its downward spiral a bit with Other M, like the indie scene was blowing up and other Metroidvania games were really, really hitting their stride. You know, now we have Hollow Knight, which I still think is probably the best Metroidvania ever made. And that's just done by a small team. I think Nintendo just didn't know where to take the series to make it stand out. So the answer to that was just making it way more combat focused, which makes sense. Samus has a laser cannon arm um so yeah when they announced this game at e3 last year 
normally I, I find myself I, nowadays getting older. I don't usually immediately buy into the hype cycle. I wasn't. I'm not usually screaming about like the next uh, Pokemon or the next Mario or whatever. I might be excited, but it's not like a frothing at the mouth thing. But no, with Metroid Dread, uh, from the art style to just the name, uh, Metroid Dread was a canceled DS game from 15 years ago. Um, it it felt like Nintendo was making a promise, <laughs> a promise to like me that like, hey, we know you, we know this is what you wanted. We know you've all been waiting for this. Um, and yeah, I think it's the best Metroid game, kind of like by by a lot, <laughs> actually. I don't know how popular that is within the fandom. Um, the things that make a Metroid great are being able to get off the beaten path and uh, sequence break, which is doing things out of the intended order. Now, I will say Metroid Dread, much like Fusion, which is my second favorite Metroid game, it keeps you on somewhat more of a locked path than, say, Super Metroid, but you can still get pretty far off the rails if you want to. Um, and I think my favorite aspect about this game and what really separates it from other Metroid games and other games in the genre is the developers, like I said, they have a set path that they intend for you to go through the game in, and it's pretty easy to stick to that path. But with just like a little bit of pushing on your part, uh, you can get stuff, power-ups completely out of order and the developers accounted for that. So the earliest example is um, you can get Morph Ball Bombs uh, early and get to Kraid and fight him with Morph Ball Bombs, and that Kraid is the first big boss of the game. Um, so you usually wouldn't have... If you just stick to the normal path, you wouldn't have Morph Ball Bombs. But halfway through the fight, there's like a little... Uh, like the floor breaks and you fall down, and there's like this little area you can fit in in your morph ball form and it, it, but you have to blow it up with a morph ball bomb so if you have the morph ball bomb you go inside there and shoot yourself like a cannon and you do like a u movement and it shoots you inside of Craig's stomach and you can just one shot him with the morph ball bomb inside of his stomach and save yourself like a five minute fight almost every single boss in the game has something like that um, I think the best fight in the game which I don't know if we ever said spoilers for every game mentioned here, but that should be obvious at this point. Um, it's a late game fight. I forget the name of it. It's some kind of experiment, but near the end of the fight, it starts shooting like wind at your direction and it's pushing you into like a, a, I don't know, a spike wall or a firewall or something. And there's a power called the speed booster where Samus, if she builds up enough, if she has enough room and builds up, um, builds up enough speed, you can do kind of like a, a, a dash. And it just obliterates everything. Um, I mean, the arena is small, but because of the wind pushing against you, you stay in place while you're running. So if you can successfully avoid all the obstacles coming at you and behind you while dashing and pull off some real tricky timing, you can just wave dash through the boss and just instantly kill it. It is one of the most satisfying things I have ever seen in a video game, even though, like, 90% of people are not even going to be aware that they can do it. I think that's like the spirit more than anything of any Metroid game is play the way you want to play. And again, there are other Metroid games that pull that off better than Metroid Dread on the whole. But in terms of the boss fights, the action combat, it it is second to none, I think. 
I've played about four and a half hours of it, and I mm-hmm. found like the first hour to be just absolute perfection as far mm-hmm. as of uh, just being an incredibly fun experience. The you've got like the mixing of gameplay and cutscenes. You've also got like they're slowly introducing you the. Uh, giving you sort of a tutorial of of all the different weapons at your disposal, um, but uh, yeah, the as, as I progressed further into the game, it started to get more and more frustrating because I, uh, you know, continued as as you said initially, I, I started to get lost, and the you know the game is very tense. Obviously, uh, mm-hmm. you have these um, you have these villains called Emmys. Mm-hmm. That basically, if you go into their uh, their zone, an Emmy's zone, they um, are are searching for you, and if they if they catch you or if they see you, they just start chasing you, and they're mm-hmm. very fast. And if uh, if they even come into the slightest contact with you, then they grab you and basically stab you to death. <laughs> right. There there is like a a brief window where if you time it absolutely perfectly, you can escape their clutches. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I found myself even the the few times I was able to pull that off that they just caught me a few seconds later. <laughs> but uh, that was that was the hardest thing for me. And again, I don't have a ton of experience with Metroid games in general. I believe I played a little bit of Fusion uh, when I got the uh, I, I believe I got that with the Wii U, which was mm-hmm. my first Nintendo console. But uh, there are some other games that I'm going to talk about later where I had a similar experience where I got lost and was just kind of meandering for a while. But I think with those games, you know, you've got maybe more pleasant music and you've got, um, you know, a situation where you're not on the edge of your seat. You're not constantly feeling this sense of anxiety that mm. makes it a little easier to deal with uh, uh, being lost and being a little confused as to what you're doing. You might say dread. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Um, Sheesh. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's um, it's certainly the game looks stunning. It feels great, and you know I I don't want my complaints to be looked at, uh, upon as like this game isn't good. I think it's an excellent game. It might just not be exactly for me. But yeah, yeah I I, it's definitely not you know like a Mario game where I yeah anyone can pick up and play this and get the general idea like. The, this is this is for like the real like nerd heads. This this is not it's it's not something that anyone is just gonna be able to pick up and play. I think also like you like Metroid games are so about yeah the atmosphere and like the claustrophobia. Um, so I totally get it. I if I'm being completely honest, when you told me you were interested in Metroid Dread, I in my head I was like I, I don't know how that's gonna go. <laughs> but um, I mean I, I appreciate that you gave it a shot and yeah. Certainly, like the aesthetic, um, I think it's like yeah, gorgeous. I know it's like low resolution compared to a PS5 game or whatever, but in terms of art style, it looks amazing. Yeah, um, the, yeah. The one thing I'll say, my biggest complaint with the game. Oh, I also say the mute, the soundtrack isn't that good. It's fine. Mm. Generally, it's just more atmospheric. You know, I we'll get into this with another game later. Uh, you know, I tend to prefer like melody driven video game ass video game music and this is just more of like a score and it just kind of fades into the background for the most part there are some good remixes of old metroid songs in there but my biggest complaint with the game are the emmy sections which i think the emmy stuff is amazing on paper and the first couple two or three emmys that you kill are 
it's it's really a thrill. My issue is as the enemies get stronger, I was hoping that like the tactics you would have to use to kill them would change. Um, but it's always the same thing. Like you have to get make your way through and find like the the temporary laser beam power up um, that allows you to kill them. The best part about it is that you you it's not just like a one hit kill. You still are being hunted by them, and it and you need to like melt the the metal faceplate off of them first, and they're still coming towards you while you're doing it. So it's like you need to find enough root distance between you and the Emmy to to destroy that faceplate and then hit it with a missile. But what I was hoping would happen was, you know, Metroid is a huge homage to uh, Alien. I mean, in, in basically every regard, it's just a big Alien reference. Um, I was almost hoping they'd go for, like, a Predator kind of thing where, you know, Samus is super powerful and whatnot, so it's a cool, uh, you know, reversal that the hunter becomes the hunted with the Emmys, but then I was kind of hoping then the tables be turned again and she becomes the hunter again but that it would be like a predator situation and you're having to like dismantle your enemy like one by one i want to like i want to tear their legs off with like a trap or something i thought that is what they were going to go for and it never really evolves beyond what you initially see and that was kind of a big disappointment for me I to, to touch on everything everyone else has said, I think this is one of those games, and for me this year, to, without going like so into the deep end and, and rant endlessly, which I always have a tendency to do, is like I feel like a lot of the super mechanics-driven stuff this year for me didn't quite hit where uh, either wrong timing, and like this isn't something I didn't enjoy. I played an, an hour to beat the first boss, first try, felt good about it, and like I put it down, and then don't really know what else had happened at the time. Um, between this and Returnal, which are games that have just gotten heaps of praise and people have really enjoyed, I at times find myself at odds, and this is one of those cases where I'm like, I feel like at some point or another this game's going to be challenging for me. Rather than get to that point, I've kind of been like, I'll come to this when I'm in the right headspace, but I also worry based on uh, just like hearing about the later enemy encounters and hearing about how long, how difficult and how long the last boss can take people, it's kept me a little bit away from that. And that shouldn't, you know, I should get to that point and see what happens. And but uh, I, I mean, I, I love Metroid games. I hadn't played a lot of them. It's not my by far my favorite Nintendo franchise or anything like that. I think mm-hmm. it seems to be a really interesting outing um, for them. I think it seems to to switch up a lot of the core mechanics or a lot of the things that are while paying homage and 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 being very much a two D Metroid game. Um, I, I, I found it really interesting within that space and I know it's not a very long game, but definitely something I want to, I want to get back to and, uh, that in return, I feel like I definitely owe a better shake at and like sure. need to like sit down and actually commit to playing. But I, I always love that about those Metroid game, the Metroid games and, uh, how, you know, Stark and, and how, you know, they're for the Nintendo franchise, especially mainline big franchise characters. Metroid seems to, it, it, they made a Metroid game for Metroid fans, which mm-hmm. I, I, I really applaud them for doing. And I also feel like on top of that, it seems like this might be the sort of almost the Yeezus of the Kanye West library <laughs> where it's like almost <laughs> intense it, on a, it, on purpose, where they yeah. went out of their way to make something that was like, hey, you're either with it in, in Utero for Nirvana. Either you're with us or you're not with us. Here is something for people who are fans who, who do want to go very mechanics-driven, almost like a platinum game at this point, right? Like, yeah. it is something with, with some depth, and, you know, and I know there isn't quite the... Um, 
move profile. Like, it's not like Bayonetta or, or um, Vanquish or anything like that. But it, it seems like they. I appreciate games going full tilt. And whether that means in this case, it seems like everyone the last couple of years has taken from Dark Souls, which will come up later in a game that I picked, that like a lot of people seem to have picked... A lot of games are taking elements and I think listening to the fan bases and adding challenge and difficulty and pushing the players past their comfort zones. Mm-hmm. And I think that's cool. I think that, at least that's my take. You know, I don't, the Metro Dread team might have actually said, we, we play tested this, everyone was able to beat this and this is fine. <laughs> but for me, it seems like that was not the case here and that they wanted an experience that could be perceived as being challenging and stark and a little bit, you know, the, the games have a very, yeah, alien, minimalist, Sort of, uh, you know, yeah, they're tough. They, 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 that exterior comes through, whether it be the Emmys or the bosses. Yeah, you know, Super Metroid, I think, is pretty easy. In fact, extremely mm-hmm. easy. But a lot of them that came after Metroid Prime, uh, I think Zero Mission and Fusion are both pretty hard, especially on hard mode. Um, I guess, obviously. Metroid Prime 2 is pretty hard. The Samus Returns that the same team did on the 3DS, that was also pretty hard, I found. Um, yeah, I think this has just become Nintendo, like, this is their, like, hardcore, I don't like that word anymore, but their hardcore, core gamer franchise at this point. And it makes sense, it's maybe their most beloved series at this point. Yeah, I, um, as far as, like, my progress, I've played a little under five hours, but I've probably only made two hours worth of progression, I would say. I've unlocked, uh, in terms of the abilities, the, the charge beam, the tri-beam, and the cloak. Uh, I think, Murray, you said I was maybe one or two abilities away from the world, sort of, or the game really opening up for me. Yeah, I, I, I think you're literally, like, right before Kraid, which is, is, that's like the first, like, main, major boss of the game, yeah. Uh, but... But, yeah, as I said, like, a lot of times it's just a matter of I'm not sure what the game wants me to do. And, of course, mm-hmm. that's that's part of the point. That's intentional that it's, right. you know, you're, you're trying to it, it, it sort of puts you out there and you, you've got to figure things out. Um, but then I also found myself at, at moments getting getting stuck where I would hit I would get a uh, I would get to a save point with low health. And then I couldn't get back to sort of an energy recharge station without getting going through about ten enemies and just continually dying over and over in the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was there was a lot of stuff like that where it's like, you know, you're spending twenty minutes and you're you're really getting nowhere. And <laughs> um, yeah, that's just one of the times where it's like, you know, yeah, the first hour I was having a blast. The last couple hours, it was just more frustrating and, you know, not, not very fun. And, um, I, I tried to even pick it up again <laughs> last night before we recorded this to see if I could make a little more progress and immediately died about three or four times. Yeah, like, I was going to say, this isn't really, uh, you'd, you'd be better off starting a new save file at that point, probably. Um, yeah, you know, if this, if this wasn't, we weren't living in a pandemic and I didn't live across the ocean, this would be a game like I would probably like, sit down and you'd play and I would like give you more guidance like we would do for other games sometimes, you know, that sounds like I'm babysitting you. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. I just mean that Books and I used to hang out pretty regularly and we would like, he would play games and ask me my opinion and like stuff like that. That's all I meant. 
Boogs isn't a child. That's all. <laughs> well, right, and and there there is like there is certain games, and and I I've found that like I think with the original Last of Us game, we we would often or I would play and you would watch or we would do that vice versa. Mm. Uh, there there are certain games, yes, yeah, specifically the the very tense, anxiety inducing games. Sometimes <laughs> sure. I do prefer to have someone else in the room, but. Uh, you brought up that the soundtrack was uh, a little disappointing in Metroid, and the, the next game I'm going to mention, I believe it's a game that we all have played, uh, that uh, actually I think the soundtrack might be the highlight of the game, and that is Death's Door. It's definitely one of the highlights of the game, for sure, yeah. Um, so Death's Door would describe it as sort of like a, an action-adventure type game. Um, initially, when I saw the trailer, I thought the the character that you play as was a penguin, and it's a, it's, it's a crow. <laughs> it would be a better um, game if it was a penguin. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, you, you're basically a crow that can, can wield a sword as well as like, or an axe as well as a bow and arrow. Um, so there's obviously combat mechanics as well. There's like a dodge, um, a dodge maneuver. So you can kind of play defense and play more with the bow and arrow, or you can be more aggressive and with an offensive style and utilize the sword. Um, but I, I think the game does an excellent job of balancing the, the fighting mechanics really well. Like with, with your bow, you have like a certain amount of, of shots that you can fire before you run out of ammo, essentially. And what you have to do is you have to then use a melee attack, like use your sword or your axe to then refill the, uh, the ammo. So the game forces you then to utilize all the different skills and all the different abilities as well. And, um, even, uh, as you, as you progress through the game and you get to different areas, there are, there are certain, um, secret abilities that you, that you pick up, including like a fire ability and a bomb ability that, that then open up new pathways to, to previous areas where you might have had like bricks blocking your path and you need to use a bomb to break the bricks then to get through to, to those areas. So the game did a really nice job, I think, of, of balancing all the, the fighting elements and then as well as making it fun to go back to the areas that you've already essentially beaten to, to find all of the, the secrets and there are, there are shrines that help build your vitality, your health. And then there's also like a, a magic component where, um, you can get like crystals that boost your, your ammo essentially for, for your bow and, and your fire abilities and all of that. But I, I really love the game. The, it's, it's very heavy on like boss fights. You, you fight a very interesting, uh, very interesting bosses like a, a, a frog king, a giant crow, a mountain beast. You fight a literal castle at one point. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. They're they're all really really fun, and it, it utilizes like your um, again having to having to dodge and and to use your melee attacks as well as your bows to to beat the enemies. And then, as I said, the the uh, the soundtrack, which uh, I believe was done by David Fenn is absolutely one of the highlights. All the different areas have a unique sound to them. Um, there's one there's one room, the, the inner furnace, where uh, there's like these shifting platforms, and even the platforms, the sounds of them going up and down were incorporated into the song. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, it, even if you're not super into the gameplay, which I, I was for the most part, I think the soundtrack alone is, is, is worth trying this game out. Yeah. I will say, uh, 
real quick. Yeah, the soundtrack, it's very, very piano focused, and I don't even usually like very piano heavy soundtracks. Obviously, I love a good piano song or whatever, but, um, especially for like action sequences and stuff, no, it, it isn't something that normally, uh, gets me. But no, I really, really did love the soundtrack. Um, near the end of the game, I think it's the last major section, uh, where you're going up into the mountains, um, like there's all these watchtowers and the people, people are shooting at you and you're trying to hookshot your way across all these, uh, different platforms while killing enemies and avoiding getting hit. And the song is titled, uh, The Old Watchtowers. I, I don't really even have a word to describe how cool that whole section of the game was. It was, it was amazing. I, that elevated that game for me, just that, like, I don't know, 15, 20 minute section alone. Uh, yeah, I think, I, yeah, it's something we all played, and I think, like, you know, without trying to take what other people have already said about the game from other outlets and not just y'all, too, like, I feel like it's a game that, like, for me, where everything is just well done and really, really well calculated. I didn't play their other game, Titan Souls, mm-hmm. um, and I felt like this game did, uh, getting back there, I guess there's multiple games that take from Dark Souls that we're talking about today, of like, hey, you just finished this area and you got through a pretty difficult section. Here's a little ramp to get you back to the area that leads to the main hub. And I feel like the game, that was so satisfying for me after a combat encounter. Uh, and I, I felt like, I don't know about y'all, did, I don't know if y'all felt like the game was ex- it was challenging or not difficult at all. I feel like it was a really good difficulty curve. I feel like the only boss I really struggled with was that was the Mountain King personally. Um and was was surprised by that. And then I also, I don't know, uh Boogs, if you got through the um the secret ending, but I went through all those elements and I, I was kind of like, oh I saw credits and then I didn't realize there was a I had seen a line that there was a little bit more to the story. And then mm-hmm. the that opens up once you get the key to make things day and night. I actually at first was not was kind of hesitant to do all that stuff, but I found most of that stuff also very um nice world building fulfilling as well and it seems to connect the universes between all them as well. Yeah. Um yeah, the post game I wasn't super hot on, but like the, there's like a, at least one unique boss right there, the gravekeeper that was really fun. Yes. Um, like I just wanted more combat from the game. So even though I didn't like some of the post game stuff, like you had to wander around that area and find like all, what is it? Like statues or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll, I'll get into the things I didn't like about the game real, real quick. Uh, this game would be like, a 9 out of 10 or a 10 out of 10 for me if it had a map or mm. or and or had a better fast travel system. There is like a, a rudimentary fast travel where you can go through a door to get back to the hub and then go in a different door or whatever. Um, my biggest issue with the game is just that you move so slow and the, this environment, it's not a big world overall. Like, you could walk through the whole thing in probably 15 minutes, but it really ruins the pacing of the game for me when, especially because at night, there's like areas where there are no enemies. So like you're just walking through these big open mm-hmm. environments and you move really, really slow. So, you know, you can do the Ocarina of Time thing where you're just constantly dodge rolling to get a little bit faster. But um, that's really my biggest complaint with the game is that I just don't think they really thought through like ways of like utilizing their space. Um, you bringing up Titan souls is interesting. I've also never played it, but 
I think it's just a boss rush game. Like I think it is. You, like you will, you have one hit, and then I think bosses also only have one hit. But it's just a matter of like getting the the opportunity to hit them. Like you have to dodge all their attacks or whatever. I could be wrong about that. Um, I actually think this. I would have liked this game personally a lot more if it was literally just like combat rooms and boss fights. I know that's not what a lot of other people like about the game, and I'm probably in the minority on that. I just wish they had come up with a better way of um, utilizing their space. That's really my only complaint with the game. I, I think for me, like, it, this this is one of those games where it's like, I worry that in four or five years we won't remember talking about this game, but mm-hmm. we, oh, we all had a very good time with it. And for me, it's definitely, like, in my top ten, um, towards the last part of this year, I've definitely, like, gotten to a bunch of stuff. And I felt like Death Store was something I played in a – probably two or three sittings, mm-hmm. uh, really enjoyed my time with it. I played it over right after Christmas, uh, Christmas weekend. Unfortunately, I did buy it with a Christmas gift from my wife from uh, PlayStation code. And then now it is on Xbox game pass, which is a little <laughs> bit of a disappointment to me. Yeah. Uh, but, but I, I, I feel like also the night thing is really funny too, in a post game mechanic because it takes away all the fucking music. So like, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what's the, why? Like, yeah. I know that's fine. It's like atmosphere and everything else about it. But um, yeah, I, I did. I did really like the story. Uh, the story elements. I think all the crow stuff is just very cool and a, a nice setting of of death and all that as well. I feel like the um, boss, the one boss that reminded, which was super interesting to me, reminded me a lot of the boar from Princess Mononoke. Oh, your crow sure. friend when he realizes that he's been, you know, that there isn't a soul on the other side and you are talking to death. I thought it was such a that was a really because the whole room's white and you're mm-hmm. like this thing is chasing you around like on all fours and I think there's a lot of memorable moments. I, I think like I said, I think the open field is like a, uh, the, the cemetery is a nice like way to stem from and there's enough hidden and secret in the game though I felt like um, some of the post-game stuff was a little, uh, I had to use a guide. I felt like some of it was yeah. a little wonky, a little, yes. a little, little too, um, what's the word I'm going to hear? Uh, even just like, ah, who's going to figure this out? Right. Um, it was abstract and kind of esoteric. Yeah. Abstract. Was, yeah. yeah. Um, it was just like, it, it, yeah, I think, I think it's a game that has almost, everything there for me it hit a lot it just reminds me i'm glad that this is kind of here where it's like you have a, a beginning game that might be a little rough around the edges and then to get into a a, a new game from a, a somebody who's really like honing in on the craft and whether that be it's taking from a lot of stuff i feel like it is very influenced by dark souls and i feel like hyperlight drifter very much comes through here even though you know solar ash came out i feel like it's taking from a lot of games that have been really successful recently and doing good on those without but I think that's kind of what's holding it back too, that it's not, it's taking so much from so many different things and not focusing on one of those. The combat's fun, but not, I don't think the depth is crazy there. Right. Uh, I agree with and that. I, it, it, and I, like, I think it's, it's, it's a game that is, you know, with all the elements there makes up a really great game. And I, I do feel like you're right about the, the fast travel and all that other stuff. And I, to be honest with you, and this is as somebody who's really into music, I believe I was playing this a lot at night and without headphones on, I remember the music. I don't remember as fondly as everyone else does. And that's not to say that I don't remember. I need to go back and listen to it more. Um, as a as a music head, I, I feel like I've, I've really messed up here by not having some some track selections, and I'll let you all send me some <laughs> of your favorites. But uh, yeah, I, great game, really well done. Um, I think it's a kind of a must play for those systems. I don't think you would be like it, it, must play is probably a little strong. It, it's the best eight point five game in recent memory. 
Yeah, that's a really good way of describing it. Like, I I don't want to sound too negative on it. It was on my top ten of the year. It's really, really good. And when it's firing on all on all cylinders, it's. I just wish there was more moments where it was firing on all cylinders. Um, mm-hmm. And I know we, we haven't let Boogs talk in a long time. I just want to do one more thing yeah. or bring up one more thing. Uh, like each boss, or maybe not every boss, but most of them have like a unique, um, like you really mess them up type of move. So like the first one is like you're fighting the witch. And if mm. you time it right, you can throw your fireball into her pot. And then it like she explodes out of it and you just get a bunch of free hits on her. Um so cool. The boss fights are hands down the best part of the game, and I just I would, like I said before, if this was just like a combat room-to-room thing, and then boss fights, this would this would be like Cuphead levels to me. It doesn't quite reach that that level, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I agree with most of, of what you guys said there, like the the one of the boss fights I found really memorable was the was the Frog King, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. you're basically on like a chessboard type of uh, platform, and he's like throwing fireballs at you. At one point, he's also just like holding the board up and knocking off some of the tiles, and you have to avoid obviously falling falling off of the board. And then he's also got a sort of like a a, a red a red ball on his back that you have to hit to then basically refresh all of the tiles on the board to, to basically stay alive. Uh, but, but yeah, the, the game was at its best during the boss fights. I agree that like a lot of the in between, if it wasn't for the soundtrack, it's just not that great. Like just fighting the common enemies, isn't that satisfying. Um, and, and, and as you mentioned, Murray, the whole idea of uh, the, not having sort of a fast travel situation, even though, yeah, there's a door in every area. But sometimes, like, the areas are can be kind of big, and you also might not remember exactly where the door is. Right. So you mm-hmm. end up wandering around trying to find it, and it takes you a while. And, and, yeah, as you said, that sort of ruins the pacing a little bit of the game and the momentum of the game. I also had a bit of an issue with, like, as soon as you beat one of the bosses it doesn't like unlock a new area. It kind of just basically puts you back into the previous room and says, okay, now just go wander around till you find a way to unlock and get to the next boss. Yeah. Uh, so it, it didn't have like a sense of momentum that you would want for a game that again is uh, the highlights are the boss fights. Yeah. I specifically remember beating the first area, like the, the urn or ceramic mansion or whatever beating her and then just because of how weirdly laid out the main cemetery can be in certain spots and again not having a map like it took me like i want to say over 20 minutes now granted i was getting sidetracked finding like orbs and stuff but it took me quite a while to even figure out how to get to the jungle area Mm. Uh, and yeah it, it it was a little bit frustrating again grand scheme of things 20 minutes is not a long time i've wasted more time than that other things but yeah just it just a little bit of pacing ruining and it's also not a long game either like i think yeah what 12 15 hours at most i don't quite remember but um yeah i just wish there's a sequel to this or a follow-up it could be amazing because the the foundation they have here is incredible um i would also say if you really really like death door you should play um hyper light drifter because that's basically this game with like uh, I don't know, like a solar punk aesthetic 
And it, mm-hmm. I really, really like Hyperlight Drifter quite a bit. Yeah, my my last uh, I I had a bunch of notes on the soundtrack Wilkins and I know you were saying that you didn't have like specific areas in mind. I, I actually wrote down a few that that yeah. that I really enjoyed. Um, the Mushroom Dungeon, I thought the the sound was really nice. It, it was almost kind of a, a melancholic guitar, like almost mm. a plucking of the guitar. Um, also, the Estate of the Urn Witch was like a combination of horns and chimes that I thought was really fascinating. And and also, yeah, Murray, you stated a lot of stuff. There's a lot of piano in there as well. So yeah, like I would probably rate this between an eight and a nine as well. And a lot of the issues I had with the game can be, you know, can be kind of glossed over given that the soundtrack is so good. But but yeah, there were there were certainly some issues. My last my last sort of complaint I had about it was, you know, the Flower pots, which essentially help you regenerate your health, mm-hmm. um, they were like you know sporadically placed around the the different areas. But there were a few of them that just felt like they were placed in really useless spots, like literally right next to a door. Mm-hmm. And, like if you go through a door, that regenerates your health on its own. So it was like, why are you why are you choosing to place a, a flower pot right here? So I can maybe partially answer that question as someone who got the Platinum Trophy in the PlayStation version of this game, which was mostly a really fun Platinum, um, Mm -hmm. because one of the last things you need to do, and for the post-game you also need to do it, is you have to to find every seed and plant every seed. So it almost, there are times where it feels to me like, oh, we need another, we need another potted plant here. Like, okay, let's figure out where to where we can stuff it like it did literally feel like that at times like oh hey we have a couple extra seeds let's let's put one here or here or here um it's just it's unfortunate because that was also my least favorite part of the game because once again there's no tracking of your stuff like you can even look up a guide on like okay where are the seeds and where are the pots but you don't know which ones you've already found and which ones you've already planted so it becomes like a guessing game. You can talk to an NPC that tells you, like, oh, you're missing a seed or you're missing a pot in this area, but he doesn't tell you how many you're missing in that area uh, mm-hmm. or specifically where it is, and that that was a lot. That was the closest I came to just not getting the Platinum and not even finishing the post game of that game. I think, if I'm not mistaken here, too, there is an item that glows, only yes. glows, and it's in your inventory, which is fucking insane that you have to go into a, a menu and be like, oh, it's glowing. So there is one in this area, which I did find helpful. I did find that last little bit very insane. And I did – it's interesting hearing people talk about this game and about, like, how they – I didn't find – I thought the story had some interesting stuff to it. I don't remember the story being all that interesting as somebody who did beat it. Yeah, same. I, I, can't, I don't think the characters were quite as like, whoa, like there's a talking pot. I was kind of like, okay. <laughs> I, I do think the bosses were a lot more interesting because of the flavor they gave to the little worlds, especially the Frog King being that sort of like, uh, you know, like very kind of like over the top. And I really, I think, I think that's the most memorable area to me overall is yeah. just the Mushroom Dungeon. Uh, I went and was listening to some of the, the soundtrack here, and I do recall a lot of this is like a, sort of like a sweeping sort of grandiose without being too over the top. I feel like it's it's got a lot of swelling to it. I think it, it's it's very very fitting for the game, and I think it's really really well done. Um, but yeah, I, I found um, yeah not to keep harping on all this stuff, but a lot of good, a lot of great stuff. Um, really, for, and for the price point too, I think it's really hard to beat. I think this is even more so than Unpacking and Toem, a game that 
really earns the amount of money. And this is a game that I was not frustrated, and I'm somebody who will frequently let people know that I am not happy with the length of video games. I found this and most of the games I mentioned to be really, really good at honing in that length of, and also not doing the, oh, uh, a lot of the like, oh, there's one more stage. Maybe there was. I'm trying to remember the last boss, but I, I, I found once again too. Like I felt like for a game that I had seen people on Twitter talking about the difficulty, I felt the game was pretty easy, and that's coming from me as somebody who I feel like I'm not very good at video games. Yeah, or I'll the right say, amount of challenge, I will say. Yeah, the right amount of challenge is fair. I will also say um, to get the platinum, I also ne- I needed to do a whole second run where <laughs> you only use the umbrella uh, as your mm-hmm. weapon. And that made me like the game more because the combat, all of a sudden, like, enemies took, like, double the amount of hits to kill. Um, It really made me utilize all the different spells and stuff. I liked the game more when it was harder, but also, compared to you two, I'm way more of a give-me-like-clicky-mashy-mechanics-driven kind of thing anyway. So, But yeah, I agree. It was, like, the perfect amount of difficulty for what it is. Uh, no, I, I just feel like you know, I, I think I think that like that that will come up more too, and like not to to, to talk about Murray's talking about. I think we have a good balance here too. This is just like a general comment of of like I think we're sort of all in between where Murray's like over here. We're like here are mechanics mechanics driven games. If anyone is going to like a platinum game, if anyone's going to like the high skill skill ceiling, it's going to be Murray. Where like I feel like I tend to be somewhere in the middle, and not to speak entirely to Boogs, but I think you would even say yourself. There's times where like mechanics can be overwhelming, and that's like I, I appreciate that perspective here. Of I think if all three of us can play this and ha- enjoyed it, then this game is truly for everybody. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point that I didn't even think of. All right, so I think we're back to Wilk as far as uh, your your next up. What do you what do you got for us? Um, I'm deliberating on whether to talk about. I'm trying to think of which one I should talk about here too. Uh, Murray, you have obviously beaten Unsighted. I'm near the end. I have not finished it. Okay, I, I, I'm going to choose Unsighted here, which is like a is can we say isometric at this point? Is that Kinda? yeah? I don't know exactly how a, you describe it. It's a another pixel art game, really, really sharp pixel art, um, almost like even pulled back, minimal style. Like a lot of there's not a lot of facial animation here. Um, I, I Souls inspired, combat driven RPG action game. Another, I would also compare it to Hyper Light Drifter. Without getting too far into it, there's even a mm-hmm. chip you can get that's like the Drifter chip that every melee attack restores ammo, um, yep. which I like that a lot. But sorry, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so it's it's another one of those games where I had heard people. It, it seemed like people were really really hot on, and, and especially in the Gamesphere circle, uh, it was really high up on Polygon's list. Happened to be you, I think, had ch- checked out before me, and I happened to pick it up um, through Game Pass. Thank you, Game Pass, um, for existing <laughs> for this exact reason. So uh, something that I would have probably not actually gone after. Um, started playing it, and you kind of wake up. You're a um, I'm trying to remember the, the, the there's there's a lot of terminology in this game yeah. to describe who is what and who is not what. You're you're a robot. It's fine. You're a robot. There are humans. There's crystals. The crystals have become corrupted. You're in sort of a forgotten city that is going through a war torn and everyone's favorite mechanic. A very tropey opening of you waking up having amnesia in a lab and trying to remember what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um. You enter into a, uh, you quickly get into a combat encounter where you can't beat this. There's these monsters of, that used to be human, 
the unsighted are actually was they were humans that turned to the corruption of the this life force that that brought sentient <laughs> sentient life forms to there are robots that have now become sentient and are cognizant and they and this there's this crystal that's in the center of this town that the humans have now corrupted if that makes all make sense am I, I correct yeah, here I, I think it's something and again I'm playing through it right now and I still don't remember all of this it the game is a <laughs> folks the game is amazing however some of the overarching story bits are are, are not not explained in the best way I would say convoluted um, yeah convoluted is pretty good um yeah, my sense, yeah, the, 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 the robots were going to war. Again, they're not called robots, but they're basically robots. The, the robots were at war with the humans and they still kind of are. And then, yeah, so they're trying to get to like the, the meteor at the center of town. Automation? Automaton? I think. Automaton, 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 yes. They're, they're um, automatons and the humans. Alma is your main character. Mm-hmm. And, and then. Like you're trying to get to the center of the city, but it's like blocked off by a barrier, and the only thing you that can get through the barrier is by collecting all five of these. Like, is it was it meteorite shards or something like that? There, so the, so the story again, without going so full tilt, but the story is kind of needed to say because it sets up a lot of the premise of this, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of elements here that kind of stack on top of each other that also play into the story that are also add into the mechanics as well. So, mm-hmm. um, the automations are these android cyborg robots that now have this and you're fighting again there's some humans good people humans are transforming into these giant black monsters the automations that are corrupted have now come to fight you so humans black giant monsters that you cannot harm at the beginning of the game until you get these crystals that are scattered throughout the world that are hidden by five automations that were built that were that are very almost mega man-esque that are hidden in five very um, an aquarium, and that boss is like a Shiva, uh, very classic, you know, um, ice like, boss. Yeah, ice oriented, like lady robot. Yes, and, 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 even, and all five of them have very, very specific. There's a fire uh, robot. There's a, they, and they all have very unique um, settings in this. So you set out as Alma to find your missing partner, who you keep remembering with a very plucky robot that lets you know that you're happening to this. You end up going through an instance. You, you get out of this. You get out of the basement. You're starting to remember some stuff. You, they introduce some slight mechanics pretty quickly. You realize the game is all about dodging, parrying, and there's a there's a system of chips. So you have when you kill enemies, you get a collection of like bits. I will say screws, whatever it may be, a in-game currency that you can use to unlock more chips that will help you hone in the gameplay style that you're looking for. The chips range from adding more health and stamina, which is, that's the only way to add more health or stamina are through these chips. And there's a limited number of chips that you can get, and you start out with a limited number as well. But they also do stuff like adding attack damage, uh, they help bolster some of the power-ups that you get later in the game that are special abilities. So there's a lot of customization here. I will say the game is uh, this is like a pretty challenging action-based game. I don't think mm-hmm. it's over the top by any means. I don't know, Murray, if you've had like any experience or what you how you feel about the difficulty curve here. So, and yeah, we we do need to. Yeah, I'm glad you did the hard work of setting that up the story. There's a lot here. There's a lot here to unpack. <laughs> but it's worth it because the main central mechanic of the game is that time is ticking down. Like every single character, including you 
you have a limited amount of time before you become unsighted, which I guess we can just say is basically dying. Um, yes, losing like, consciousness for the yeah. yeah. Um, so because the crystal is corrupted. Sorry to interject. The, since yeah. the crystal's <laughs> power is being sucked away from the human, the humans experiment with the the crystal is now driving away this power. So everybody has a ticker, and I'll let you explain more. Yeah, and so like every character you meet. Like, every character, even if they're not named, they have dialogue and, like, how many hours left. And then you have, like, a section of your pause menu, menu where you can see the whole list of characters you met and how much time they have left before they become unsighted. Um, what's really interesting is that you start coming across, I think it's called, like, meteorite uh, dust. And you can give them to these characters, and it, it gives them an extra 24 hours to live. Um that also bolsters your relationship with them. And if you max out a relationship with a character, like every single one of them, they give you something really good. Um, and I feel like I have to explain all that before we talk about the difficulty, because knowing more about the game now, I, I texted you, Wilk, yesterday about I had stumbled on to the fact that there's a, a true ending to the game. Mm-hmm. I still don't know if that's what I'm going to go for or not. Um, but... You to, the first step of this true ending is like beating the super hard optional boss that's like a Grim Reaper-esque character and she was destroying me in like two hits. I wouldn't even usually get a chance to heal. Um, I ended up beating her and actually like with no problem, I don't think I even got hit once because of that chip system. So like the difficulty, it starts off crazy. or I shouldn't mm-hmm. say it starts off crazy, but like it, it, if you're not taking care of like managing what your character's chips are, like, you're going to get destroyed. Like, you have to, um, like, think about things. You have to, like, how do I like to play the game now? Let's play to my strengths. Um, the best part about the, the whole system with the, with the chips and everything and the, and the time is that each character that you max out your relationship with, they give you something, like, really overpowered. So saving, um, or not saving, but giving four meteorite uh, dusts to the the blacksmith gives you the ability to craft items from your pause menu, including in the middle of a boss fight. So if you're out of heals, you can just and you're in the you're, you're really close to killing a boss, you can just craft a revive cog, and if they kill you, you're just instantly back. You, it's very interesting because the the game can can it it almost trivializes the game in a weird way in in, in a way I wasn't expecting. But not really because you have to sacrifice the meteorite dust to give those to characters. So that's, like I said, it's not just their life force, it's also your life force. Like you, I don't know what happens, but I'm assuming if your time reaches zero that it's just game over. Because I don't, I don't see why it wouldn't be that way. And <laughs> I haven't, I, I'm at the point in the game, I'm entering into the fifth, like, dungeon, for lack of a better term. Mm. Um, some characters have gone unsighted for me, but they were characters that I didn't have much of a relationship with. But like your, I forget her name, Iris, I think the little robot that follows you around. Uh, mm-hmm. she, she's been close to dying like three times. I just keep giving her more uh, meteor uh, dust because I don't know what's going to happen if she dies because she's like your. In the context of the game, she's like, oh, hey, you need to go here. Like, here's a point in your map where you should go to. And among other things, like, she is like a gameplay component, a mechanic that I don't know if I lose those 
the ability to have those mechanics if she's gone or not. Um, there's also the, the morality aspect. I was playing this morning and I ran into like the, the, the fishing NPC. He's like a, the big blue guy who's always fishing and super nice. And he only had 14 hours left. And, and you know, when you find him, he's always fishing. But in this case, he was like, he was near a fishing area, but he was like sitting back against a wall because he's almost dead. And he just goes, I don't feel like fishing. And I, I was like, what the hell, man? It's like near automata levels of like mm-hmm. philosophical, like, like morality of like, what did, what do I do? <laughs> like, I, I have to reach to the end of the game. I'm near the end, but I only have so many bags of this meteor dust and I'm going to need some soon. And Iris is going to need some soon. But this dude's sitting here dying and he's super nice and helpful. Uh, it's, it's kind of crazy. And the whole game is built around that, that time mechanic. It's like Majora's Mask in that sense, but there's no reversing anything. Um, it's one of the most interesting games I've ever played, period. It's super cool and I wish I had uh, beaten it before we got uh, to doing this podcast, but I didn't get around to it. It's you're bringing up a lot of stuff. There's a lot to unpack here uh, in this game, and it's no joke. Like you're bringing up a lot of stuff too. So you're about to head into the the fire area, correct? Mm -hmm. The volcano. Mm -hmm. Okay. I I I feel bad to talk about some of the end game because I want you to experience it, and I feel like we should. It's okay to pull back a little bit. There are some some elements I can hint at or get to that you'll experience yourself. Um, That area has a really interesting mechanic. Mm -hmm. Every area obviously has an interesting the aquarium has a ice mechanic and a water mechanic that you use a you can use a shirk i also love it it lets you play with the mechanics interestingly to i'm trying to remember i think there's is it an ice gun is the first thing you get so yeah it's an ice grenade is the like the mandatory one so and then there's also an ice shuriken you can get so you can throw a shuriken a massive shuriken across this map to make paths for yourself so you don't even have to use the ice grenade you can actually upgrade it and, and it's like it's more unwieldy and you'll find through that some, some, some through some of the flavor text um, I do feel like there's a lot more happening here with characters, individuals, and I've read a lot of the flavor text. Some of it is lost on me given how much yeah. is happening in this game. There's also a really interesting NPC in the world, too, who lets you trade in three meteorites for – you also have a mechanic where you can heal yourself with uh, one of the buttons, and it's like a – it's literally a syringe. Mm-hmm. You can get temporary syringes, but you can also – you can also get permanent syringes if you sacrifice some of the – the life-saving, literally life-saving fucking material, mm-hmm. and you can you can get three of them. I I think the game runs. I I felt like multiple of the bosses were the cogs. Getting back to the cogs briefly, then to yeah. the bosses, the cogs. The game is constantly letting you know to use these. They feel yeah. almost game-breaking at points. Like, hey, use this thing that you don't take hits, or hey, this gives you more... There's a stamina meter, much like a lot of modern games. It takes a lot from the Dark Souls of you have a stamina meter, and the attacking and parrying and dodging all stem from using this this one meter. And there's obviously ways to extend the meter. There's there's uh, there's uh, some chips or there's some cogs that will the cogs you can get a cog that lets you have more time that will like double or triple your thing. And I, and I think multiple bosses for me where you I had to use these. But with those I beat most bosses in one or two tries. Mm-hmm. The the exceptions being the the boss in the fire world and the last boss. Which is a falls into the category of oh you thought that was my final form, sure. which is uh, not my favorite trope. I was gonna say it's a favorite of Wilkins. Yeah, I am. I am very against 
that. And I also thought the last area really suffered from really bad checkpointing okay. um, to the point where I died multiple times and had to restart multiple areas. You do eventually get inside the last area, the, the, the pillar, obviously, that's you know that's where you're heading. I did just read in a review, and I'm sorry, I don't want to ape from that. I was just trying to remember some stuff. Sure. Um, the, the the music is at odds. This person pointed this out. At RPGfan.com, the music is at odds with the atmosphere. The music yes. is almost very, like, chill and, like, down-tempo kind of mix. Like, I really like it's it. It's like funk at times. It's like jazzy, funky, like, <laughs> all of it's very, ch- not chiptune because that makes it sound like it's a little too, like, there is definitely some depth to it, The especially in the aquarium uh, I'm trying to remember the area where you deal with the light stuff, the light elements of like day and night cycles in the one area. Oh it's yeah, what it was Dude, the one before the aquarium, I think. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, and also the map is almost very daunting at first too. There's mm-hmm. there are three layers to the map. There's right. entire and, and there's the game. There's so much to say here, and I'm not. Yeah. Sure that, I, it's funny that this game is the one that I have the most to say about. I'm so glad you played it because there are so many things happening here. Of like, oh, they do a good job of showing you when meteorite dust is near you because it'll it'll like flash on your map. I know Colin kind of complained. Our friend complained about some of the uh, the platforming elements. Since this game has an interesting perspective, that it sometimes diff- it's it's tough to see the platforming elements given that the way it does the perspective. But I yeah. thought they were pretty good for the most part of dealing with that. It, it's sometimes it is kind of hard to tell, like where, especially if it's something below you. Like, yes. if, is that is that higher than me, but just below me, or? But it's really small in the grand scheme of things. It's not a game breaking deal. Yeah, I, this game does a lot. It does have to do a lot of stuff with its story, with some very intense mechanics. There's a lot of gameplay elements here. I would say the game, I died quite a bit. Um, funny enough, mm-hmm. once again, not mainly during bosses, during fighting random NPCs, falling off the map. I did find, especially during the hookshot area, which they do give you two hookshots. Let's go. That is the <laughs> coolest shit ever. <laughs> two hookshots, so good. I, I, I did find myself having to traverse through that area a lot, I felt like, with the the hawks. The yeah. the, the there's a falcon boss. Um, <laughs> which I found that boss to be extremely easy and almost like it felt like something was wrong how quickly I beat that boss. Yeah, it um, it, it felt like a, it was like a brief reprieve because yeah, I died a couple times to the ice boss, but yeah, the, the same. Falcon boss, yeah, I beat it first try like no issue. Um, I, I do find a lot of the NPCs very memorable too. I feel like there's almost a stand-in as well. Um, are what, are you are, are you at the second village? Have you found the second I, group of survivors? I, I, yes, I found them. Okay, so there are replacements for some of like the blacksmiths and stuff. There's a right. very much a stand-in for uh, Alphonse from mm. Full Metal Alchemist, the giant <laughs> right. robot, like which is uh-huh. also a weird thing that I'm like, what's going on with this? Uh, it, this is all to say. Really interesting music, really interesting gameplay, challenging gameplay, a lot of mechanics, a lot of hidden stuff away too, a lot. There's an entirely um, optional dungeon as well. I, I found the game, I beat the game in about eight hours. There's a new game plus. There's a, there's also the element to take away all these elements and to play mm-hmm. the game right as you get into the main world. They go, Hey, the timing element in this game is real. We are not joking. People will fucking die and disappear <laughs> as NPCs in the game. So. 
you can remove that and have like an explorer mode. So for those of us who are trying to maybe just see a little bit more of it, I thought about doing new game game plus and kind of just like messing around with some of those elements, though I just kind of want to see the world at this point and wish the characters were still there. Um, for something that's setting out to, to, to do so much, I think they hit a lot of the notes here. I don't feel like it hits all the notes. It's it's especially very tropey in some ways. Like yes. a, a lot of science fiction tropes, a lot of very classic video game tropes, but super fucking cool. Once again, great art style. Um, I think they, they do a lot with that. I think the world is very unique. Um, I feel like the dread that you get from when you do see one of the difficult monsters before you unlock the mechanic, uh, the, the final mechanic where you can fight them is really unique as well. To spoil some of it, the final weapon in the game the ultimate weapon of the game, you get to choose between an axe or a sword, which are kind of becoming the two. Raquel, your, the person you're seeking out, uses an axe. You can use a sword. You can use both of them. You can use either of them. There's also a gun element in this game, too, <laughs> uh, which is... <laughs> I, it, there's a lot. There's a lot here. There's a lot I, here. And I feel like th- there is so much here that I, I feel like anyone who hasn't played this game, Boogs can interject, is probably extremely confused listening to this right yes. now. Yeah, I, I can confirm that's the case. <laughs> yeah, and like, and I'm trying to organize my thoughts, even with Murray here, who's a much more organized person than me. I feel like even if I would have written this out and tried to explain this top down, it would have been. It, it, there's a lot here, and there's a lot to see. I think this is definitely a game that is great for Game Pass or great on sale. Not because I don't think they deserve the money, because seeing whether or not this is for you is, I think, crucial to your enjoyment of this game. And this is something that I probably wouldn't have played if it wasn't for Game Pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think to, to home in again to like briefly summarize it is a difficult game it's a narrative there's there's a narrative here i don't think it's overwhelming but the narrative does you know you're you're talking about a far-flung future or a a dystopian sci-fi world with a lot of elements of that was a pretty diverse cast of characters who were all very unique with a really interesting some core mechanics whether it be the cog system to augment your to to help you fight battles the chip system, which helps augment the, or like augment the way you play. The com- it's a very combat-focused thing. I do feel like the timing and the pairing mechanics seem a little bit off to me. Yes. I don't think the timing works quite the way, the way they think it does. Um, and I think they, they, they keep on being like, yeah, you got to dodge with this, you got to parry this. And I'm like, I don't think this works the way you think it does all the time. So uh, um, what I'll say about parrying is, yes, I agree that like it feels like the timing feels different across different enemies, which I know that mm-hmm. obviously it should to a certain degree, but I guess what I mean is they'll use, they'll flash red before they do an attack that you can parry, but like the amount of time they're flashing red before they attack feels completely different across different enemies, and it doesn't feel right. I agree that it doesn't really feel um, like there's something off there. I will also say, though, that one of the the reward rewards for maxing out your relationship. If you max out the relationship with the trainer person, I forget what her, what her name is, but she teaches you how to do parries. She gives you a chip that I don't know exactly how much, but it like doubles your, the damage you do to an enemy that you just parried. It has completely, it completely trivializes like a lot, basically all normal enemy encounters. And it is fantastic. Yeah. It's that is insane. Because, yeah. like, the, I will say, as somebody who went through the last boss, I did ten times. I got to a point where I'm crafting. You can get revived cogs. I'm crafting revived cogs. And finally, I just sat there. I watched somebody else play, and I just just parried the shit out of the, yeah. the final boss's early forms. And I had to. I got to the final form of the boss. 
the the final boss, and I was, and then it introduces a the Final Fantasy Nine boss thing, where you, if you're familiar with the ending of Final Fantasy Nine, you beat a boss, and then another boss comes up and goes, actually, I've been controlling everything this whole. Oh time. yeah, it's great. You, you love you love that you love that trope. And I, I, I and this is I was just like I think that was what was happening it was like I and it was like it was like ancient evil and I was like what the <laughs> fuck? But I, it, it, the game really I, <laughs> Unsighted is a very very cool fucking game. This game is very cool. They do a lot. I I feel like we could talk about this for another thirty minutes and we're not going to cover everything here. Yeah. I think this is something people should experience for themselves. I feel like a lot of the mechanics. Every one of the things I feel very comfortable saying today that I feel like are trying something slightly new and achieving a lot, even if it's not perfect, this is worth seeing just to see what this is. Whether or not watch you watch a somebody play it on Twitch, a YouTube thing, check out the soundtrack, check out the game. If you have Game Pass, if you have the Switch, I think there's a demo. Am I not yeah. mistaken? Yeah, there's a demo. I think this is a really fun and unique experience that I really wanted to shout out because I was looking over the rest of my list. I, I was going to put the gunk in here. Um, which is also an Xbox One game that's very mechanics-driven, pretty quick. For an eight-hour game, you can see a lot and do a lot, and um, yeah, we're very much worth checking out. I think everyone should go out of their way to see what this is. Yeah, I just want to say real quick, uh, I'm I am glad that you had it on your list too, because for one, that kind of pushed me to get. I had bought it months ago, didn't check mm-hmm. it out just because of time, but this is what pushed me to do it, and I'm so glad I did. It's one of the most unique, interesting games i've ever played i know a lot of that sounds confusing the main takeaway is that that time system the ticking down time it adds so much to the game yes you can play without it maybe it it would still be like an above average like action rpg without that but if you're going to play this play it with the time sets go in wanting to explore that wanting to max out relationships it is one of the neatest games i've ever seen well, that's that's great to hear that there's there's a demo that I can try out too because yeah you guys have definitely convinced me to at least give it a shot and uh, yeah the actually the, the next game on my list also has a, a time based mechanic going on as well uh, but uh, first we I believe uh, Murray you're you're next up as far as uh, what uh, what game do you have for us yeah um, I guess we can go over uh, it takes two which uh, Boogs and I played a bit of over the last, like, month. Um, yes. So, again, I think I mentioned before, like, this 2021 was a really good year for 3D platformers. I mean, we had a new 3D Mario game, uh, even if it was a short one. Uh, a lot of really good 3D platformers, and I think this is the best one, at least from just a pure gameplay perspective. Um for anyone that doesn't know, I assume most people know by now, but yeah, it's a it's a co-op 3D platformer. It, it's mandatory co-op. Uh, you have to play with someone else. Uh, me and my wife played through it last summer, which is also interesting because it's the story of the game is uh, a married couple that are going through problems. Uh, they have a, a kid that I don't remember exactly wishes them to be dolls or something. She cries on the she cries on a book with magic tears and it turns them into dolls that she had made of her parents. Um, before we get into the bad, because there there's a lot of this game I really was not into. Um, it is one of the most delightful 3D platformers I've ever played. Like you take out the issues that I'm going to bring up, 
and this would be this might have been my number one game of the year. As it stands, it was more in the middle. Um, but you know, people have been asking for a Mario Galaxy three for the better part of a decade, and in a lot of ways, this is that at least in terms of its creativity and imagination to me. There's a straight up section that is in outer space um, that feels like a spiritual successor to Mario Galaxy, and it's super cool. Um, the game is divided up into like chapters, and basically every 45 minutes at the most, you're completely switching the mechanics of the game. You, the first section is like uh, the husband has these magic nails that he can like drive into a wall. And the wife has like a, a hammerhead that she can use to destroy things and swing off of those nails. The general structure of the game is like one person has to do something to help the other person get to another spot. And then they can help the first person get to up to where they are. Um, it gets so creative. The whole second chapter is a third person shooter <laughs> uh, where the husband is like, covering things in explosive sap and then the wife is exploding it with some kind of matchstick gun that these militaristic squirrels gave them to fight against wasps. Um, it, the story didn't do much for me in any positive way, but in terms of like the environments you're traversing, I got emotional just from, it sounds weird from like imagery and gameplay mechanics. Uh, there's this late part of the game where the book has them like revisit their, their honeymoon where they were in like, it was a skiing honeymoon and like this, this small, like, I think it was a European like, um, mountain town. And it, 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 it genuinely feels magical in a way that I rarely used to describe games anymore. Um, and you know, Boogs, you saw all of the first two chapters and like chunks of the third and it, and I know I kept saying it while we were playing that game just constantly escalates. Like there's no period where it's like, Oh, this mechanic isn't fun. Like maybe some are better than the others, but it, it is always doing new things. I've never seen any game that, that so fully um, just maximizes its potential with mechanics and then throws it all away. And then 15 minutes you're playing like a Diablo esque dungeon crawler for 10 minutes. Um, it's, I would say it's the best co-op game that I've ever played. Certainly the most creative. I'd put it right up there with Portal 2. Um, the downside, I just, we'll just get rid of this right away. The story fucking sucks. Um, the husband and wife are not pleasant. There are times where I find it funny, and individually I don't have a problem with either of the characters, but the overall message of the game is that, hey, you, you, Hey, you're having marriage problems? You could just talk that out. Um, from the very beginning of the game, it's pretty clear, like, their marriage, I'm no expert, haven't been married even a year yet, but I'm pretty sure if my wife and I were talking to each other <laughs> the way they are, uh, I don't think we'd be married anymore. It's very annoying, um, the way they are constantly bickering. Even in, like, the game wants you to feel this catharsis at the end. Spoilers, they stay together, or whatever. It doesn't feel redeemed. It doesn't feel satisfying or earned. Um, it, it, it downright, like, it sours my impressions of the game a little bit. And it sucks because it's an amazing, amazing game to actually play. 
Um, and we'll go over one last thing real quick before I pass it off to someone else. Near the end of the third chapter, uh, well, the whole third chapter is the husband and wife have devised a plan. They figured out that the magic tears are what turned them into toys, so now they want magic tears to turn them back into humans. So they're like, how do we make our daughter cry? Well, we destroy her favorite toy. And her favorite toy is a, a stuffed elephant. But again, in this world, everything is walking and talking. Uh, so the stuffed elephant is just this cute little innocent thing. And uh, it begs for its life <laughs> as you're like pulling it and it's like its leg gets caught in this slot and then its leg comes off and then like its ear gets pulled off from like a straight tack and and you you kick it off you kick it off a cliff and it's played for laughs and like i under i i i i see what is funny about it and i see what they were going for i had to turn like when we beat that chapter i was like no i need to take a break from this game for a couple days like that thing was begging for its life and again the the, the theme of the game it's like yeah these two parents they have no idea what they're doing and they're doing a dumb thing and this isn't the way to go. But yet they still murdered this cute elephant thing in cold blood to make their daughter cry. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'll hand it off to, to someone else for a moment because it's a lot. Wilk, have you played this at all? Uh, I, I haven't. Um, the... the... I've looked at this a lot, and I, I know Murray and Colin had spoken really highly of it, and it's now on Game Pass. Um, I don't have a second controller, and I worry that my wife has does not have, like, she's still, like, into getting into gaming, and I feel like based on what I've heard, I think Murray had mentioned this as well, that some of the mechanics can be a little challenging. Um, it, it's worth, I think, noting, too, that Murray and I played the last game from... Uh, Hazelight? No, is, is it Hazelight? I think it's Hazelight, and... With the the Frenchman who is he believe he's French yeah the classic Frenchman <laughs> uh, what's his face yeah uh, I have not played it I'd like to play it uh, I've heard uh, in Game of the Year talks I've heard a lot about the story and I've seen this has kind of become a lot more divisive the more it's gotten like the more people talk about this the more it ends up in lists and not ends up in lists it's been very interesting to hear about it but boobs continue. Well, yeah, uh, as, as Murray stated initially, he, he played it with me, and it's really neat that they basically allow, even if you haven't bought the game or purchased the game yourself, you can just download the game as like a guest pass, and then if someone who has purchased it invites you, you can play it with them. So that's essentially how I played it. I didn't spend any money on it and was able to, to play it, and um, yeah, it's it's a blast, and yeah, I, I echo all the statements about the whole story. It's it's obvious from the get go that it's like, oh, they're just gonna say that relationships you can just sort of brute force it, <laughs> mm-hmm. like, um, you know, for the kid or whatever. But it's like, no, these two people are not compatible. They're not happy together. Like this, it's not something that you could just like you can read a book up on, and then everything will magically correct itself. Yeah, and and you know the whole the 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 gimmick or not gimmick but the setup for the game is yeah it's this magic book like it's a it's a relationship book that's trying to help fix their marriage and that comes to life because of the little girl so my initial thought while we were playing it was oh they're going to end up getting divorced because they realize like oh this this book was brought to life by our daughter's like desire for us to stay together but that's not 
the the good thing in this case. I you know if that was where they were going with it, that would be great. But it's not <laughs> like uh, that would that's like ten times more clever <laughs> than where they go, which is to say they don't really go anywhere with it beyond like. Hey, yeah, you used to like gardening. You should garden again. Oh, yeah, remember that you like singing? Yeah, I like when you sing. We should go sing sometime. Like, that's that's basically the resolution to the game. Um, again, when you're actually playing it and, like, the, the game looks amazing, especially for, like, a, a, you know, it's an indie studio. Obviously, they had a bigger budget than something, you know, like Chicory or whatever. But, like, there are times I got wrapped up in what was happening in the story. And I got emotional during the end because you spend the whole game like together, but like the last gameplay section is like the husband is walking to an, to sit in the audience while his, his wife is preparing to sing for the first time since like their kid was born or whatever. Like that did get me like a little emotional, but it's like, imagine how much more emotional I would have gotten if the rest of the story hadn't been kind of counter to everything. I believe like, a, a good healthy marriage to be you know right and yeah like i i mentioned that you know the game might have been better off just story-wise if it wasn't like two parents with a kid if it was more like a plutonic friendship that might have mm-hmm. been on the rocks or something right. like that like an insecure isa molly situation um, you me and dupree come on class <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, that was the main issue I had with it. But as far as you brought it up, you get into these crazy situations. Like, yeah, you're you're shooting at wasp, you're shooting sap at wasps at various <laughs> points. Like, you're you're floating through space. You're at one point. Uh, one of my favorite segments was the husband character has the like Ant-Man ability. He can shrink and grow himself. And then the, the, the wife character has these boots that basically allow her to have like anti-gravity. She can walk on the ceilings. And right. so like both characters are progressing through this 2d space um, and having to avoid obstacles and, and work from, from opposite ends of the screen. And, and that's another thing that I think the game flawlessly executes is the is the seamless transitions between 3d to 2d and and back Mm -hmm. um but you know you just getting into these really you know weird situations leads to a lot of really fun dialogue and that's where i think the writing was at its best was where the characters were just making little little quick jokes about how how crazy the situation there it is and like and in those cases like the writing is fine like like I said, I you know I think both the characters on their own they're written fine. It's just like again they're constantly bickering, which and again I don't mind that in like a movie or a, a TV show or a video game it's not a problem inherently, but their level and and frequency of bickering is to the point where I'm like yeah what y'all should have been divorced years ago. I, <laughs> um, it it just it gets to be too much because it it. it it never really lessens. It never lightens up until near the end. And then all of a sudden everything's fine. And it's just, it didn't really work for me in that way. But again, I do want to emphasize, again, this is on our, our game of the year list. This is my number five, I think game of the year. Like it's an amazing game to play though. Another big flaw with it. I find is that, you know, they advertise it, I think sort of as a family game. And I won't even get into that being problematic for story purposes, but like, it's too complex for like, yeah, like, you can't play this with like a kid uh, or a, a really young kid. And yeah, 
you know, you woke your wife. Yeah, the, it's too complicated. I, I, you know, I've never played a game with her, but from what you've said, it's too much. I can promise. It, it, it seems like something I do want to play, and that it's, it's now free on Xbox. It, it, this is, all this sounds to be like kind of a messy, albeit interesting from a gameplay thing. It looks like they have it, and it sounds like from a story thing, it's dog shit. It seems like they a lot of missteps about families and divorce and relationships. And I, I, almost every complaint I hear about this game is that it's – y'all haven't talked about this. I hear that a lot of people talk about the length of the game. And as we know, somebody who doesn't like games to overstay, it's welcome. Do y'all feel like it, it – Murray, as somebody who's beat it, do you feel like it's – I've heard 12 hours, which seems crazy to me. But, like, get, I know a lot of new stuff happens. But, like, do you feel like it's at – what's the threshold here, you know? Twelve hours sounds about right. Maybe I mean less or more depending on like how many of like the optional stuff you're doing and whatever. Um, I never really felt like it was dragging. Like at multiple points, like uh, my wife was like, "This is one of the best games I've ever played." So like it never to me. I guess it's longer than you probably think it is based on like trailers and what is being said about it. But I was never not having fun with the game besides the cutscenes and even. Again, I want to emphasize, if you just want a really good game to play with a buddy or a spouse or something, I don't think you can have a better experience than this. Um, and I want to emphasize, like, I don't think the story is, like, the worst thing in the world. It's just, it it's literally the only bad thing I have to say about it, because, like, the game itself is, like, 3D platformer, like, perfection to me, basically. Like, it even feels good to move, which other, like, smaller budget or story-focused platformers don't always have that, but it genuinely feels good. Um, yeah, I, I I had heard about the people having issues with the length, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just not as susceptible to it or something, or maybe they were playing... Like, it took us a few weeks or maybe even a month to get through the game, so maybe that was why it didn't bother us. I'm not sure. Well, and, and you brought up, too, and I think part of this could be why maybe it doesn't actually feel that long because you're constantly changing what you're doing. So mm. it feels like you're playing 12 different one-hour games almost. Right. Um, so so I, I suppose that helps. The, the, other, the other note I had is, like, like most great like co-op games, like something like Overcooked, it, this game encourages that communication between each other mm-hmm. because you, you basically have to talk to each other to solve something because you each have a tool at your disposal mm-hmm. and you have to work in concert with each other to get through the areas. So I think it, it does do a very good job of you know fostering that communication and making it feel like an engaging game that you are doing together, not just like two people playing a game at the same time. Right. Like, it's genuinely, it, it it's like an experience that you are playing with someone else, basically. Well, and I, I imagine the whole, like, the given that as a certain character you get certain tools and it can feel like a different game depending on if you're playing as the husband or the wife, I imagine that also makes it good for going back and playing it a second time as the different uh, side of things. Right. And, like, again, we don't have to spend too much more time in the game, but, yeah, like, I didn't even get to show you, like, like there's, like, time rewind mechanics. Near the end, like, the husband turns into, like, a plant, and you, like, grow out. And, like, the, I, it's nuts. It's really, really cool and creative. 
All right, so let's get to let's get to my next game, and this is this is actually my number one game of Ooh. the year, and uh, I um I don't believe either of you have played this, uh, or maybe maybe Wilkins, you've played it briefly. I I, I got to I got to uh, finding the body outside. Okay, so the game I'm referencing is Disco Elysium: The Final Cut. And uh, this is a RPG that is very heavy on very heavy on dialogue. And the the, the first thing I guess uh, describing the game, um, you start out as this man that wakes up on the floor of a hotel room. There's a bunch of broken uh, uh, beer bottles all over the floor. You're in your whitey tighties, and that's it. Uh, there's a hole in your hotel room window. And you have you have no memory of anything that's going on. You have like total amnesia as to who you are, where you are, what you're doing, what your job is. And slowly but surely you discover, okay, you're a detective on a case and you're actually staying at the hotel where a crime took place and a man was hanged in the backyard of the establishment. Um, you you come into contact with your your partner that is going to assist you on the case. But uh, the game is, as I mentioned, very dialogue heavy. But what makes it unique is that, um, and again, going back to that it's an RPG style game, you have different characteristics and you, you can select what traits you want your character to be strong at at the beginning. And the, the, the different qualities include your raw brain power, your emotional intelligence, your physicality and your motorics. So your raw brain power is going to be like your encyclopedic knowledge, your logic, your um, emotional intelligence is going to be your, you know, empathy, you know, those sorts of things. And then your physicality is your strength and endurance. Your um, motorics would include like hand-eye coordination and reaction speed. So you have all of these different categories and you can choose which ones you want to be strong at and, and, um, again, you have a limited amount of, of points to put into those areas. So if you choose to be like a really smart character where you have good logic and you have good emotional intelligence, you'll probably be weak as shit, right? And you'll also probably be super slow and have crappy endurance. So um, what what makes it so fascinating, though, is that when when you experience the dialogue in the game, each of those individual characteristics within those traits all have a voice, like an actual voiceover actor voicing out the dialogue for you. So you have like your your logic trait. There's a specific voice for the logic. There's a specific voice for the encyclopedia. So if you have those at really high levels, those specific traits and the voices that go with them will chime in and help you as you're trying to solve solve this murder investigation. So the, I mean, the reason I, I loved this game and I would recommend it to anyone is just the, the writing I found to be absolutely phenomenal. Not only was the murder mystery, it, it took all of these really fascinating and unexpected twists and turns, but the, the dark humor is fantastic. Um, the, yeah, the writing is absolutely exceptional. Robert Kurvitz is the, I believe the writer and creator of this, but, uh, it's, it's it's one of the more unique games I've ever played, and it's it's it was the best experience I had with a video game in 2021. 
I just want to say real quick, I've never looked super far into the game. I mean, I'm aware of its existence, and I also I do think it's something I would like if I sat down with it with the right mindset. I was not aware of like the different voices thing. That sounds like extremely, extremely cool. I think that might be something that was in the director's cut. Uh, I'm not 100 percent positive. If I'm not mistaken, yes, the addition yes, of is, that it is an addition specifically cool. for the final cut. Yeah, I I think this is something that is like so in my wheelhouse, and it's something I just need to like sit down and play. Obviously, we get we get wrapped up in a lot of stuff, you know, between Metroid and. Uh, there's a lot of stuff I want to get to, and, and this is this and the Outer Wilds are at the top of my list of games from a couple years ago that I think are very in my wheelhouse, especially now that Outer, I own Disco Elysium and Outer Wilds is now on Game Pass again. So, um, yeah, I, this is something I, I feel like is super unique, and I, I this sucks that we didn't play this so we couldn't talk about the story, and I really can't wait to see the story, and I don't want to keep you, if you do want to talk about the story, I want you to feel free that you can you can do that, but... You know, it's 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 something I think is super unique. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to spoil any of the murder mystery story. I I'm, I do want to spoil one specific side quest because I found it one of the most memorable things I've experienced in a game maybe ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, as far again, getting back to like the RPG upgrade system, it's you know, there's plenty of games where you know, even in even in Death's Door, for instance, there were times where I would upgrade like the 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 haste ability and I wouldn't really notice much of a difference like in terms of it was supposed to be like reduces the cooldown time between dodges and improves your base speed it's like I upgraded that but I don't really feel the difference right whereas with Disco Elysium every time I upgraded a skill say I upgraded the the um, rhetoric skill right which is your ability to sort of interpret between the lines what the other characters are saying to you when you're interrogating them when I upgraded that, like the the dialogue and the voice for rhetoric would immediately chime in, like at the next available opportunity and help you out. So like huh. you're you're immediately noticing the benefit of your upgrades whenever you do it, which I thought was really great. And you know, I think the the game has its own unique world building mechanics. Like there's a you know you're in this town called Revishal. They have their own sort. There's sort of a labor union strike going on. And so there's there's a lot of issues with the town and the, this big company that is involved there. And you've got your own little sort of political system. And and you can go as you go through the game, you can sort of choose how your character, um, how they affiliate in terms of the, the local politics. Um, so there, there's a lot of really fun world building and lore, lore building stuff going on. And besides just the, the dialogue and the, the murder mystery itself, you know, it's, it's a bit of an open world thing where, you know, if, if say for instance, you want to take a break from the story for a little bit, cause at times it does get dark and heavy and all of that. Like you can just mm-hmm. walk around, wander around and explore the town and, um, find collectibles. You're constantly perusing for, um, for money and also collecting bottles, which you can turn into more money and which helps you pay for items that can either help with your case or just allow you to, um, you know, make progress on side quests and, and all of that. But I, I wanted to bring up the this one particular side quest because I found it so so fascinating and so fun. There's a there's a character in the town, his name's Morel, and he's what's known as a cryptozoologist, mm-hmm. which um, mm-hmm. is this guy that basically believes in this 
type of, I don't know, insect species that has never been discovered before. And him and his wife claim that his wife saw one of these creatures as like a seven-year-old child, but they didn't photograph it and no one else saw it. So um, as you're speaking with them, they say, hey, would you like to help us set up traps throughout the area to potentially catch one of these one of these uh, creatures? And so you kind of have a choice, and, and your partner, Kim Kitsuragi, he's kind of the pessimist. He's the very logical guy, so he's constantly walking around with you and saying, this is, this is stupid, right? Like, the, these don't exist. These guys, these people are just weirdos. They're, um, you know, conspiracy theorists, right? And so you can kind of choose as you play the game to be like, okay, I'm going to be skeptical like my partner and not help them. Or you can be an optimist and say, hey, I believe that, uh, that, uh, this woman as a seven year old child saw this and that these exist, you know, believe in the possibility. And, so I took the route of being the optimist, right, and going and assisting them, setting up the traps. And right near the end of the game, right as you're actually solving the murder mystery, you actually are the, the first <laughs> to discover the Insulindian phasmid. <laughs> and, um, it's, this, it's this whole, like, it, it gives you, like, a whole five to ten minute segment where it's just focused on that. But it was one of those things where it was like, oh, that... That side quest added so much to this world. It was it was really fascinating stuff. So, yeah, the main reason I haven't checked this out, I guess there's a couple. I, I am intimidated by the genre. CRPG, computer RPG is what people call this, very stat-driven, like stat-check-based progression. Um, I, the, I, I just always feel like I'm never in the mood for something like that. And I, I should probably just sit down and play this at some point. Um, the only other thing I, that really, really was holding me back from playing it. I specifically remember when the game was new back in 2018, I think was when the original version came out and specifically the people on GiantBomb.com were talking about it a lot. Cause it was you know, getting a lot of notoriety and hype. And I specifically remember, I think Abby for sure said it, yeah. And I think Vinny agreed with her and maybe even Alex too that the game was like overly cynical to the point where it was hard to deal with. So is that actually the case or were they just playing the character that way? Cuz what you described to me makes it sound like that's just how they were choosing to play the character. Yeah, um I mean it definitely has a dark sense of humor and mm -hmm. yes, like obviously it's dealing with a pretty bleak subject as well with mm -hmm. um you know, you immediately see a dead body that's been hanging outside for like multiple days. Sure. Uh, so so yes, it is it is very bleak at times, but I think um the the game sense of humor allows you to kind of get through a lot of that stuff. And then also I think the side quests and some of the characters you meet, obviously some of the characters are also, you know, kind of depressed as well, but then you meet some others that are, that are really kind of happy go lucky type of people in this town. So um, yeah, I think it gives you just enough sort of glimmers of hope that it, it didn't get too depressing for me, but I certainly, I certainly understand that as a criticism. Yeah, and obviously, yeah, that's gonna be a your mileage may vary thing, and um, yeah, I 
I don't have very much to say except that I think you've done a better job of selling me on this game than the past couple of years worth of like critical acclaim does. I'm very, very fascinated by the different voices. I don't know why that's what I've globbed onto, but that, I don't know. That sounds very, very fascinating to me. Yeah. I, my, my only two, like I have two minor nitpicks about this game. And the, the first would be that, um, you know, occasionally I would say I, I felt this way maybe twice over the course of like 30 hours of playing this. But um, occasionally it would get sort of too into the minutia of its own world building. Sure. Um, but mm. I, I think one of the benefits also is you can always leave a conversation. You can always leave a setting. And at times the game will even let you know if you're in sort of optional dialogue. Right. Mm-hmm. And it will say, hey, you can always come back to this later if you want. Um, but yeah, there were occasional times where it's like, all right, I'm, I, I feel like the dialogue is getting a little bit too, too much here and I need to just kind of get out of this. But, um, again, pretty minor nitpick there. And then the other one would be the first five minutes of the game nearly convinced me to stop entirely. (laughs) Sure. Um, Oh yeah. That's an interesting intro to say the least. Yeah. It, it, I feel like it could have eased the player into the experience and what they're, sort of in for in a more approachable manner. Like one of the first voices that you hear is reptilian brain. Um, okay. which you, you, you learn more about that specific voice and what that's for later on. But when it just is thrown at you right out of the gate, you're kind of like, all right, I, this just seems weird for the sake of being weird. Uh-huh. But yeah, I I was I was blown away by the game. Again, it's it's my number one for 2021, and again, yeah, I believe it's the 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 final cut version released in 2021, which yes. yeah features all the voices, mm-hmm. which I think is you know I, I have no idea if I would have felt like significantly worse or wouldn't have impacted me as much if I had played the original version without that. Yeah, you know, I don't I can't think of any other game I've ever heard of that did something like that where the original came out with no voice acting and so dialogue heavy and then they re-release it under a final cut banner and it has full voice acting. I think that's also extremely interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh all right, so let's get to uh Wilkins. This is your this is your fourth game on your list, right? Let's hear it. Yeah, for sure. So uh, this is probably uh, game of the between this and Chicory, which is on uh, Murray's list. Uh, new Pokemon Snap is probably the thing that I felt the most pleasant about. It's it's definitely in the top three for me. Um, new Pokemon Snap uh, is the sequel, sort of rehashing of the original game, which came out in '99 on the Nintendo 64. Um, as my guess, right around that, that, the, the late nineties. Um, so it is Pokemon, which I'm just, you know, always been a fan of and, and grew up with. And it's the, the snap being the, uh, camera element. So, uh, it's been, you know, what, almost 20 years since it's probably been 20 years, <clears throat> a little over since there was a bit of Pokemon snap game. And it was something when it was announced where I was like, it, it had been talked about and rumored for years and people had kind of, I think always kind of clamored. Pokemon fans are pretty loud on the internet. And, um, I think this was something that I couldn't imagine being this good. I don't think it has any right to be this good. I mm-hmm. think for a game that is this simple and this driven by a core mechanic of you, you know, it's a first person. You're in a, I don't know what they call the, the vehicle, but you're, you're going on this. You're like a floating space pod. 
Yeah, you're in a space pod and you go through these inhabited worlds within Pokemon and you're in a newer region from what I can tell. Um, they're in, you're in a new region that's like kind of being explored. Um, and you're, I, I, I should say this. A lot of the story elements just don't fucking matter. It is you yeah. shooting Pokemon with a camera. There is some light story set up, but I think in most Pokemon games, as outside of the mainline games, I'm sure people would say I'm crazy. The, the story here does not matter to me. That's not why I'm here to play this game. Um, you're taking photos, and especially, I think this might be one of the best first stages in a video game of all time. The game added some really cool new mechanics where you, the more you play a level, the more the Pokemon get comfortable with you. So you are leveling up based on how well you were shooting photos, and you're being graded on four different elements in your photos. I would say those elements are pretty esoteric at times, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, and a little. Uh, there's probably somebody out there on a YouTube video who could explain to you them all very well. It's about pick, you know, how many Pokemon are in the frame, the composition, are they moving? But they ultimately don't really matter. And I think the thing that here is it, it's important, given that this is another camera game. This adds quite a bit of depth over Toeb with this, but it's nothing crazy. I think this is a game. Pretty much for everybody, and if you have, even if you're not very interested in the Pokemon world, this game does such a fucking good job of showing Pokemon being, like, alive and active, which is something I've always kind of loved about the Pokemon universe. The games, the mainline games, you know, the, the main RPGs are more about the battle, and they don't really... They do flesh out and give some color, but the anime and this do such a good job of making them seem like actual animals. Like, there are real animals that do real things, or real mons, monsters. You can make Pokemon dance, you can throw fruit to them. Every Pokemon has four different stages in every... Is it every level? I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember the exact... Like, every level has four different variations of that Pokemon, or is it four different variations between all the worlds? I'm not exactly sure, now that you bring that up. But yeah, like, there, there's, like, a one-star version, a two-star version, a three-star, mm-hmm. and a four-star. But yeah, it might be across all the different levels, I think, is what it is. And this this has a really good category, has a really good... So you're, you're trying to get the best photo of these Pokemon and set them up in, in certain ways. So you can use fruit to get to them. There's a, The thing that's so fun is watching, and the original game had this too, where you're kind of watching these Pokemon unfold in this almost like a puzzle box. The, 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 based, you know, Depending on how many times you come through the level, you'll see, and as you get more comfortable with the Pokemon, they start to act differently. And based on the different items you have in your inventory that slowly unlock over time, you kind of can get Pokemon into a little bit more interesting scenarios. So, of course, the first time you're playing through a level, you're trying to see everything and where everything is. The, the, the best part about the game, and it's something I don't typically do with games, is like coming back to a level. And for me, when I was playing this game, I was uh, working a job that I was very stressed at. And this was a really nice way in the morning before work to like play a level, kind of see what's going on, see what the Pokemon are doing, uh, go through the level again, see if I can get them in any unique scenarios, and then try to get through them all. So I, 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 they've added some free DLC to this game, too, as well, which is super cool. But, like, for me, it's, it hits all of the high notes of, like, every – such a great list of monsters – Featuring some really some some Pokemon that aren't featured all that much in mm-hmm. the like the, the the universe too. So so specifically, you know, I think everyone's got a favorite Pokemon that they look after. Obviously, Pikachu, Eevee, a lot of those are still here and featured. But there's a lot of Pokemon that are off the beaten path, literally in the game, and also like featured in here that I'm like, oh, that's so cool that they're doing this. And the game has a really nice sense of humor about itself, where there's a Tauros in the first level, and there's like the three or four star photo is getting it with a 
flower head head crown on, which is like stupid and funny. But yeah, like, yeah. it's cool. It's it's and the game is very cute, but the, it's so vibrant. It's so bright. The the music plays right into that as well. And and there's also now a night element of every one of these levels as well. So the Pokemon, some of the Pokemon are sleeping, and some of the Pokemon that are that are that are uh, awake during the day are now sleeping, and some of the Pokemon that are sleeping in their first go around are now up. And they do really good jobs. They do really good, you know a good job of that, of showcasing that through the levels as well. Um, also the game has a bunch of, uh, they're not, what do they call the, the, uh, luminous Pokemon? The, I think that's what they call it. Yeah. They're these Pokemon that are kind of featured in a single stage and they're like glowing and you kind of have to wait for them to do a certain activity to shoot photos of them. And, uh, they are all, I, I thought they were all going to be legendary Pokemon. They're not, they're all like kind of, normal-ish Pokemon, and they do a really good job of making them seem really unique and kind of, like, larger than life. And I think the, the game has very classic Pokemon and or video game tropes, like volcano, mountain, forest. But they do a really good job with them, and they make them seem really full of life and really unique, and the Pokemon have just... There's been so much life breathed into them, and they seem so alive, and this game is so chill and relaxing and fun and just, like... It's it, all these games other than Unsighted I've chosen this year have been really just like about the experience of playing them and, and seeing of it. And, and you really are just taking photos of Pokemon. And that probably sounds really dull, even if you're not into Pokemon. But I think they do such a good job of showcasing, you know, uh, Boogs, Mamoswine is in this. So there are some heavy hitters <laughs> in the Pokemon, like, you know, and, and like Snorlax is in this. And, and then also when you finish the game, the game does something that the, the first game did as well. There are legendary hidden Pokemon in this game. And there's also crazy, crazy... I see videos all the time of stuff that I didn't even realize were still in the game of like, hey, actually, if you throw enough fruit into this whirlpool after you hit the squirrel in a certain way, the squirrel will come out out of this whirlpool on a Blastoise bed back flying through the air. I just saw this literally yesterday on Twitter. I didn't even <laughs> yeah, realize I have, it was in the game. I haven't seen that, no. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck is this? This is awesome. There's so much stuff. And like... I, I, there is a level too where if you turn around at the beginning of the level after you beat the game, if you go through the, the, the story, which took me 20, it, not even that long, honestly, but going back, the, the, the point of the game is to replay, to re-see, to focus back on stuff. And it is overwhelming the first time you play a level because you want to see everything and you want to see, oh my gosh, you're bouncing back and around, you're zooming your camera. Yeah, your camera's going all over the place. Yeah. You're, yeah, yeah. you're trying to just, you're ta- I'm sure you're running through photos and you only have a limited amount and that's, but it doesn't matter because you can replay it. And the game wants you to replay it too. It wants you to see these things. But one of the levels you turn around immediately in the game level and, Mew is there, but you only know that if you, like, there's some really cool, unique, hidden stuff. There's plenty to see. There's a great list of monsters. There's a great, it's the most fun I think the Pokemon games are having with themselves, which is super cool because it is such a, you know, I don't know. It, It seems like Nintendo and Game Freak sometimes get caught up in the cycle of being like, this is a huge franchise. Pokemon needs to be like this, and this seems a little outside their box. Yeah, I I will say that this is like the Pokemon game that I've been waiting for since I was a kid. Um, the the problem with Pokemon games to me, they've always been sound mechanically. Like they're they're fine RPGs. Um, the monster designs are always top notch. Like even in Sword and Shield, which I have very very mixed feelings on Sword and Shield overall. Maybe my favorite new batch of Pokemon ever. The problem is you never like see them in their world and environment. You never see them behaving like animals because like 
you know, Pokemon Snap is basically, it's just like a, a, an extended, like, safari. Um, it's so cool, like, in that, just that first level alone, we replay, my wife and I, we replayed that first level over and over and over. Uh, I think it was like literal days before we even went to the second level because it was like, well, look at what's happening here. Like, if you go there at night, like, there's a hair across, like, sucking sap from a tree, but then you can get a pincer to attack it and get a mm-hmm. photo that way. Um, to touch on what you were saying about, like, it's not just, like, the favorites. Like, there's some deep-cut Pokemon in here. Uh, I never gave a shit about Wormpole before this mm-hmm. game. Uh, the Gen 3, he's just, like, a Caterpillar Pokemon. And he's, like, <laughs> he's, like, the star of the game to me. Um an aspect that Wilkins didn't touch on yet was like, you can edit the photos and like upload them to like mm, the game's yes. online features. And like, so, you know, it's like Instagram or whatever. You can like edit them, put filters on, add stickers. Like, I think we like half, literally half the time my wife and I spent playing Pokemon Snap and we didn't, we didn't finish. We still have quite a bit to go. I think, I think the last level we played was like the, the mystic, like Japanese forest bamboo area. Yeah. Um, but like of the 20 hours we spent playing that game, I'd say near half of it was just like, like, Oh, like what can we do to this picture? Like the first picture I ever uploaded, I added like a, like Wormpole, he's like spiky. So like I added like a party hat sticker to the top of his head because he's like climbing this, like this branch and he, I don't know, it just looks so cute and he's got the little party hat on. Um, no, I loved this game. This is, you know, Pokemon Legends Arceus at the time of this recording is out in a few days, and all of a sudden I'm really excited for it in a way I hadn't been for the past year. And we're gonna see maybe that game continues this streak of like showing the world of Pokemon in an interesting way, because mm-hmm. the mainline Pokemon games haven't done that ever. It was no. excusable with the original Game Boy games based on the hardware, but like Pokemon for me has been on a downward slope for like the better part of a decade and this was the game that I've been waiting for. I just want to see animals, you know, in real life, I like seeing animal videos and seeing animal behaviors and watching animal documentaries. This is just that, except it's Pokemon. You very moving experience for a Pokemon fan. Like, I, I, I mean that, like, I know that sounds dorky and cheesy, but like, this is what we wanted. This is what people, and like, I'm, that's for a particular subset of fans. For me, this is like growing and building upon everything they've, oh, they've done. And they have so many things to do. And this hits so many high notes, which I feel like a, not a lot there. I mean, honestly, there's, but there's a, what I mean that, that there, it's very simple mechanics and they do such a good job of building upon all that. And the online element is really, really fun. The, the professor will automatically choose a photo and upload it for you and you can see your other friends photos and there's leaderboards and like it's got it's got depth it's got body i think it's it, it's a one of the cooler pokemon games and one of the cooler unique things this year and i think this is nintendo's like first party foray into a more casual experience and very much designed for that and it's accessible by everybody i think it's something everybody can learn to play and feel comfortable with and i really appreciate that about this and i think nintendo needs to do more like stuff like this and i think game freak needs to do more stuff like this as well of of just seeking out to have an alternative experience to the rpg elements and and all the mainline games i think everything you know i felt that way about bowser's fury you know there's got to be shaken up a little bit and this i think does the right amount uh with that right and yeah, there's not too much more to say about Pokemon Snap. It's a game where you're taking pictures of Pokemon. It's really fucking good. Anyone that 
that this even sounds slightly interesting, just play it. It's really, really, really good. Um, but yeah, like, in terms of the RPG, the mainline games, all I've ever wanted from them is just side quests where you interact with Pokemon. Like, see them in their environments and, like, do, like, do a quest where you're getting fruit for, like, an APOM or something. Or just simple, small things. But they've never done that. It's always just been, you're just walking as a linear path and you're getting in battles and you're catching Pokemon. Like, that's fine on paper and it's cool on its own, but there's so much more that, I think Star Wars is maybe the only other franchise that I'd say has so much more wasted potential than Pokemon. Like, mm-hmm. you could be doing anything with Pokemon, and only now does it seem like they realize that. All right, Murray, let's let's get to your uh, fourth and final game here. Obviously, we'll, we'll all have honorable mentions as well, but uh, I, I know what uh, this game is. I actually played it a little bit just to, to get a taste of it last night, but uh, what's what's your final game here? Yeah, uh, my final game, and also my f- favorite game, number one with a bullet of 2021, is uh, Chicory, A Colorful Tale. Um, I don't even really know where to start with this. I mean, yeah, Wilkins has played it a lot, too. Um, mm-hmm. It, In terms of gameplay mechanics, it's it's basically kind of like a throwback to, like, overhead Zelda games. I would most compare it to Link's Awakening in terms of the whole map feels kind of puzzle-ish. And also the tone of the story is very kind of, kind of offbeat and mysterious and fun. It doesn't take itself too seriously at all, even though it does cover very serious topics. Um, I, I mean, the, the, the central mechanic of the game is the only like super interesting, uh, gameplay thing to talk about, which is the painting. Like, um, you, you control your character who's named after whatever your favorite food is. In my case, it was pizza. I, w- I think Damn. grilled cheese was it was too long. Otherwise, I would have put grilled cheese. Um, but yeah, you control your your character, and then with the right stick, if you're playing it on a controller, um, controls your, a paintbrush. And like the whole world goes black and white, and you have to find out why, and also fill color back into the world. Um, the nice thing about that aspect of it is that you can engage with the coloring basically as much or as little as you want. I've seen a lot of people, including Nextlander, talk about how they they didn't find the coloring engaging. I don't necessarily think that coloring in the world is meant to f- be something that you even do fully. There's no point to doing it um, beyond your own satisfaction. But for the for the main purpose of the paintbrush, it's to solve puzzles. Like your paint interacts with the world and elements in it in different ways. Like you can fill a mushroom with with ink, and then when you jump on it, uh, it, it springs you forward. So, like, you solve puzzles that way. How do I get from this clifftop to this clifftop? You have to fill the mushrooms with ink or paint and then, like, bounce your way through. Um, there's also stuff with, like, as you go, your paintbrush gets more powers. And I think one of the neatest ones was um, your paint becomes glow-in-the-dark. So the only way you can navigate like a dark cavern is by just painting the ground and all of a sudden you'll see like these bugs on the ground all around you that you didn't know were there before. Uh, just small elements like that. So like I said, the actual gameplay isn't, it's very good. I don't want to make it sound like it's not good, but it's, it's very secondary to me to the narrative and the overall like tone and story of the game and i don't say that about games very often i'm 
as we've said multiple times before, I'm way more of a mechanics-driven person and gameplay over anything else person. And that's just how powerful this game was. Um, genuinely, I say that this is not hyperbole. Like, this is not uh, exaggeration for the sake of a podcast. I, I'd like to think over the course of the last three hours that if you've never talked to me before, you understand I'm a pretty... Uh, l- I'm a pretty calm person that isn't exaggerating too much. This game made me like reevaluate what art even is. It made me think about my relationship to art and the people who create art. It made me, th- <laughs> it made me think about life. Uh, and again, this is just like this cute little game where everyone is an animal and named after food. Um, I guess. I guess I'll do my big spiel before I let anyone else talk significantly. And I don't, Wilkins, I don't, did you 100% the game? I, I beat the game. I didn't, I didn't do like, I didn't do all the side stuff. I definitely have beat, saw credits wrapped. Hey, you can still go around the, and color and everything after that. But I, I've seen, you know, the is 75% of like the, you know, did not get the platinum or anything like that, but, but saw the full story. Did you do the side quest where you make a garden? I, I think I started messing. Is, is, is that something you can do throughout, or is it something you have to start doing? I'm trying to remember. Um, so it's in the Tea Time Meadows, which is like I don't know, like a mid-game area that you get to. There's, is, this, is the koala there? I think it's a koala. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a koala. Yeah, hummus. I and, think his name is. And he's uh, dealing with a somebody has passed away. Yeah. Uh huh. Yes. Okay. I, I didn't know that he wants you to plant stuff there. Is that I'm trying to remember? Yes. Okay. I, I, I've done bits of this. I don't know if I ever finished. I think maybe I finished this. You go on and I, 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 feel, I feel like I'll be able to fill in. So, yeah, you get to Tea Time Meadows, which also it has such a more somber atmosphere than the rest of the game. And like the music is my favorite piece of music in the game. By the way, Lena Rain, composer of uh, um, Celeste. Which one of my favorite game soundtracks of all time. She does amazing work no matter what she does, but I think uh Chicory is is the top for me. Um yeah, snapped. Can, yeah. <laughs> I mean the boss fight music it turns into like a prog rock, like space opera. It's ridiculous. Um but yeah, you get to Tea Time Meadows and you know, throughout the game you can you talk to various NPCs. So yeah, there's this I think it's a koala, I don't quite remember, uh, named Hummus. And he's older, you can see, like, like his eyes are wrinkled and stuff. And he starts talking about he has a friend that passed, and that recently, I think Parsley is the name of the friend. It doesn't matter that much mm-hmm. for retelling the story. But that Parsley's wish was to, to have, to turn this, like, kind of barren area right next to a river into, like, a beautiful blooming garden. And he asks you to, uh, Hummus asks you if you can, like, make this a garden. So... You can decorate like interior, any any interior exterior environment in the game. You can just like put things down, like furniture, plants, whatever. So you you can go. There's like a garden shop in the city dinners. So yeah, you know, I I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do your side quest. And I went to dinners and I picked up a bunch of a plant and lawn and garden things. And I just started. I went back to the area where hummus is. I just started planting it all down willy nilly. I didn't really care. I'm like, give me my hat or my paintbrush dye, whatever the fuck you're going to give me. Um, put enough down. I think it's like you need to put like 10 or 20 
items on the ground there. Again, it doesn't matter as long as they fit the theme that he's asking for, because there are multiple side quests like that where you put things down. And then you talk to Hummus, and if you put enough things down, he gasps. But when I say he gasps, it's not just text that says, like, you know, asterisk, gasp, asterisk. Like, it's the only, I think it's the only example in the game of, of a voice. But like, Hummus actually like, <gasps> like, it's an actual gasp that comes, comes out of your TV or whatever. And <laughs> it, it, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> it was this weird scenario where, um, like I sat there for like five minutes. I didn't even advance the dialogue. I was like, okay, five minutes is an exaggeration, but I was like, like, what was that? Like at first I didn't even realize it was the game. I thought it was like, I don't know what I thought it was, but you know, as you advance the dialogue, he's, it's, you know, standard dialogue. It's just saying like, thank you. Like, you know, uh, he would have loved this, so on and so forth. But like it stuck with, and I, I played that game back in like the summer, I think June, July. Mm -hmm. And I still think about this, like every couple days I'm like that, that fucking gasp. It, it's so quick. Like it's over in half a second, like a gasp would be. And it felt (laughs) again, this is going to sound crazy guys, but it's fine. Sounded or it felt like someone that, you know, the sound designer of the game was like reaching out to me. And like it touched me in a way that like literally nothing ever has in a video game before. It it, it <laughs> when I got done through the dialogue, I quickly picked up you know the garden pieces that I just strewn around, and I actually took five minutes to arrange a, a decent garden because I felt bad. Um, and then I turned the game off, and I didn't play for a few days after that. I remember picking mm-hmm. my wife up at the subway that night. And trying to explain what had happened to her, and I don't, I didn't, I don't think I did a good job then. I don't necessarily know that I'm doing a good job now. And obviously, I don't think many people would even notice this because I've looked up let's plays. I, I've been so obsessed with this gasp. I've looked up like let's plays of this game on YouTube and found this exact spot where multiple people beat the game and no one says anything about this gasp. And like, yeah, I, I don't really know what else to say beyond that it made me reconsider what art is and it made me think about what it means to be alive. <laughs> and like, like, I don't know, I thought about like, oh, if I were to die, would someone go out of their way to do this for me? Not a garden. I don't care about gardens, really, but you get my, my point. Um, yeah, no game has ever hit me like that ever. Not even close. And sorry if that was a bit rambly, but that's I, there's no other way to describe that. I, I think this game is just such a takes a lot of stuff. There's a lot. It wears a lot of its influences on its sleeves, especially to throwback Zelda, especially to like old school. You know, I think when people actually mean like, oh, like puzzle solving and dungeons, but the game does such a good job with its difficulty curve. With its elements, it, it, the mu- and I, I really could not hammer home that this is one of the best video game soundtracks of all time. Yeah, like for sure. Letter Ray, Rain, especially like the, the the diversity of the songs on this soundtrack 
and how fucking good they are and the diversity of the areas in this and everything's dessert and food themed, but they do such a good job of some of these areas being so unique and feeling so full of life. Like the first time I got to the Gullah Swamp and the song and it starts off and it's it's a pan flute and it starts mm-hmm. and the song builds and then the drums come in and I was just like, Wow, this is so full and it felt like like uh, and it, it's it's called Gullah Swamp and there's a you know, a whole Section of the American South, or Gulp Swamp, sorry, sorry, sorry. I thought it was Gullah Swamp. Never mind, I'm not going to go on a rant about Gullah culture. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, 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 it's just, the, 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 the instrumentation and the music carry this game up to a, a huge heights, but the story and the elements found throughout, and for those of the, for people who haven't played it, I, I hate to, I hesitate to even talk about some of the stuff that happens, because the journey of the, uh, of, Chicory, the titular character, and yourself, I think mine was pizza as well. Uh, <laughs> it, it, everyone, it, it's just such a fun and unique world, and I think it's one of the more, it just, it deserves to be played. This game deserves admiration. This game deserves more than, I, I, I'm amazed that the, the mass video game journalism community has been kind of not, there, there, obviously it's gotten some, it's gotten praise. Don't get me wrong, but I, I think this is something, I think this is one of the best video games of all time, and I do not say that lightly. I think this is something that is achieved so much. I, I think it's the highest reviewed game on, on Metacritic. Not that that necessarily means anything, but it does mean something. Um, highest reviewed game of the year on Metacritic. And like, I didn't see it on like any game of the year list. It's like everyone just forgot about it because they wanted to talk about Deathloop and Guardians of the Galaxy and like every, not, not trying to shit talk those games either, but. No, yeah, like, I get you. Like, I, the reason I like doing this, these, these podcasts is like, like you know, I didn't pick necessarily my top four games of the year. I mean, in this case I did, but just games I wanted to like shout out and, and give, you know, proper credit to because yeah, the gaming press at large failed this game. You know, again, next lender, I love, you know, Vinny, Alex, Brad, but like, it sounds like most of them didn't even make it through the first section of the game. And they're like, yeah, I didn't like the painting mechanic. Like, I don't really know what there is to dislike. Yeah, I, I'm with you, and I think for me, I, I, I think the it does so good with the elements and its story about things that we all experience. I think for the Firescape uh, podcast did such a good job of touching on these elements of burnout and 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 imposter syndrome and feeling like can you rise above and also dealing with anxiety and stress and shit that we all deal with. And I, those are obviously very hot topics within online culture. And I think some of them have become almost played out, which is insane to me that, that, that like those have become almost performative to talk about those things. Mm-hmm. But I, I think they do a really good job of, of, of painting what those feel like in video game form of that thing. Like you, you feel those elements coming through this game and this game is so full of life and so, Right, and it does have darker elements, but the game also does, you know, if you want to play this game and you don't want to deal with any of this, you can, you can fuck around with the settings so much to be like, I don't want to die when I get hit, but I, right. and I also, you can turn off wet sounds for, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I cannot speak highly enough of this. I think this is a, uh, I've followed this for years on Twitter. I think this is something that is so worth people's time and effort, and I think, this and Pokemon, Pokemon Sap remind me why I participate in this hobby and why I love it so much. And I think they, it, it, great narrative, great gameplay. And it's just, you gotta experience it for yourself. 
I think the the the, the Zelda elements in the puzzle solving and the mechanics of uh, as you grow through the story are are really well done as well. Like it, it just I I just don't have any real issues with this game for me personally. Right. Yeah, I've again I've probably played thirty minutes total, so I can't comment too much on it, but. Um, one thing I wanted to, to just briefly discuss with you guys, and, and maybe I'm focusing too much on the painting portion of the game, as you guys mm-hmm. have mentioned that the, the story and the soundtrack and, and all of that is maybe the, the strengths of the, of it. But, um, as a, as a left-handed person, you know, I, I write and draw typically with my left hand. Mm-hmm. I found the, the whole like, and again, I was playing with a, a regular, like a pro controller, but I found mm. the whole like trying to draw and paint with the right stick to be suboptimal. Sure. I I don't think anyone's going to pretend that that's not the case. Um, the Switch version in particular has multiple uh, ways around that. You can play it on handheld with a touch screen and just draw with your finger. Um so also, if you play with the Joy-Cons detached, which I hear this is actually the, what everyone prefers, but with detached mm-hmm. Joy-Cons and you can do motion controls, like paint through the air, basically. I don't, you know, I'm also left-handed um, for most things, including yeah, drawing and writing. Um, I don't know if, I played the PS5 version back in the summer. Um, I don't know if they're, Same. on the Switch version, if there's like, I wouldn't be surprised in the settings if there's something you could do. Um, I, I do think the game was built to be played on a mouse and keyboard and, but I mean, yeah, what are you going to do at that point? Um, I will say though on that subject, a thing that changed for me after that hummus side quest is that like, I really started taking my time going through the game world and not just playing the game just to play the game at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole line of sub quests kind of, it's at an art academy where they give you prompts, either they have you recreate, like they show you a picture and then you recreate that picture in your style, or they just say, hey, like draw happiness. Um, normally I wouldn't have done that at all, both because I don't feel like I'm artistic and also because I'm like, ah, I just want to play through this video game and beat it. Like I did, I gleefully <laughs> did every single one of those prompts, especially the ones where you're re- recreating an image. I just found it so fun. Obviously, if I were to show you the drawings, I could because I saved them. But if I were to show them to you, it looks like worse than like a child's scrawl because, yeah, it's with an analog stick from a left-handed person uh, in a video game. It looks like MS Paint like died, basically. But I was still proud of them. I even showed my wife, who, again, she she's an illustrator, and she she genuinely was like, I really like these. And that was another thing when I say like it made me reevaluate art. I, you know, I don't share a lot of my art. I mean, I'm mostly a, a writer and I don't write as much as I could, but you know, I've, I never really sat down and drew a whole lot and mostly because of my skill level. And I don't know after that and like talking about stuff with my wife, I was like, why the hell not? Like I posted those drawings on Twitter and it was just as like a fun, Hey, here's what I did. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It was kind of one of those things where the limitations made me excited. Like if you'd given me like a, a, a tablet with like a drawing pen, that wouldn't have been as exciting to me because I know whatever I would make would suck anyway. Whereas like this, I had like 
who cares what it looks like? It's fun doing, I guess, is my larger point condensed. Yeah, and that could just be like, you know, my OCD or like feeling like I need to be a perfectionist where I would have, yeah, there would definitely be a hurdle for me to overcome to get to that <laughs> frame yeah. of mind. But. Like, you know, 10 years ago, the that version of myself would be like, no, 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 no. like you're – you're not drawing the, you're certainly not posting these on social media. Who knows what people are going to say? And now it's just like, yeah, who the fuck cares, man? If you're having fun, what does it matter? Like mm-hmm. anything is art. It doesn't matter. Just have fun doing what you're doing. And that's all that matters. I know that sounds like, a, like a 60 year old hippie talking right now, but it truly like this game, it legitimately changed the way I think about art in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, um, I I definitely look forward to diving into it more, and you guys have made a, an excellent case for for doing just that. Um, so let's let's get to my uh, number four game here, my final game I have listed, which is Solar Ash. And uh, I believe Murray, you've played Wilkins, you have not, correct? Uh, I have not. I have not. It was uh, it, the price point was just oh, right outside the, the where I felt comfortable after. Murray talking about it and some other reviews. I've been a little skeptical. I, I'm very, very interested. Don't get me wrong. I loved Hyperlight Drifter, but I've been on the fence. The $40 price tag has kept me a little ways based on some timing stuff that I've heard about the game, but happy to hear you talk about it. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of an action adventure. Also like a 3d platformer. Is that a good description? Murray? Yeah. I, I also, I, I'll get this out of the way right away. Tony Hawk's Pro Neon Genesis Evangelion. Yes, um, yeah, because you're essentially uh, you're you're able to just like skate around the. Uh, it's almost kind of like ice skating, um, the 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 world around you. And I found the the gameplay to be incredibly fun and satisfying. I mean, yeah, just maneuvering around and exploring. Um, you you collect plasma essentially that helps you build up your shield. Um, and then also there's other just world building collectibles. There's these things called void logs. You're essentially like a, you're, you're a different species, obviously, but then you're also kind of like a space explorer that is going back to try to save your people and, and resurrect the, the world around you. Is that kind of how, how, how you would describe it, Murray? So it's basically, it's a big metaphor for uh, for climate change in the real world. So it's basically like there's I forget there's this is another one like um, like unsighted where there's just a lot of terminology thrown out there that mm-hmm. they could have just used normal words and it would have been less complicated. But um, basically, like a black hole is like or something a black void is like about to envelop your planet, and y'all have been sent here. There's like uh, I don't know if it's like a big beacon like a laser thingy that's going to destroy the black hole or something um but yeah that that's what you're doing is to try and stop this black hole from like just sucking in your planet yeah and some of your fellow um void runners i think is what they're called yeah void runners they'll leave like these what they call void logs for you that are sprinkled around the world you'll also find like these shrines that you you pray at to get more information so there's plenty of like little secret areas and stuff that you can find that are that are um that are interesting the similar to death's door i feel like a lot of the game is you know just like mini fights and boss fights right 
and these boss fights are the were the highlight for me. You're you're fighting these remnants, these giant creatures that um, similar to something like Glyph, where like the floor is lava, right? And there's these little little platforms that are safe to land on. You basically have to maneuver across these giant monsters' bodies, landing on the safe platforms, slashing these um, these weak points on the on the monsters, and doing so. And you also have like a grapple, so sometimes you can't actually jump to a to the next platform. Sometimes you have to latch on and fling yourself over. So it's a lot of like very quick consecutive jumps and slashes and grapples and once you actually pull that off, and, and each boss basically has three lives, and each time you you get through the get through the whole body and and get to the end, you you knock off one of the lives. But every time you pull that off, it's just such a such a satisfying feeling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The different areas in the game as well, like once you beat a boss, it typically unlocks a new region, and all of those areas present their own challenges and have like their own unique puzzle solving language. There's one area where you have these like color matching situations where you have to hit these like spherical objects that then like a, say it's it's a yellow colored object you hit that and then you have to skate and slide and quickly get to another yellow object that then opens up a new region. Um, there's there's a whole other thing that's like based on electrified rails where you have to de-electrify them. And if you're able to de-electrify like multiple of them, then it opens up sort of a booster that sends you flying into the air to get you to heights and different areas that you couldn't before. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was also this whole like glow-in-the-dark area where you have to slash these things that then light up the area, and you have to then jump to the next one. So there, all of the areas are are really fun and. Again, it's like a situation where the game doesn't tell you anything. It's pretty subtle, and you just kind of have to figure it out. And some of the times, like some games, like with Metroid Dread, I found that frustrating and was unable to figure it out at times, whereas mm-hmm. this felt like the perfect amount of challenging and um, where, you know, yeah, I'm for five to ten minutes, I'm trying to figure out, okay, what is it exactly that it wants me to do? But right before I got to the point where I would be frustrated, I, I figured it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked briefly. I, when you when you and I have talked over the past, like, week, we've tried to avoid talking about games because we wanted to save it for the, the podcast. Um, but we briefly talked touched on Mirror, Mirror Seat the last time we talked. Um, are we in agreement that's like the coolest area in the game? Yes. Yeah. So Mirror Sea is, I think that's the second last area you get to. Um, I mean, it's, it has the coolest remnant. It's, um, it's like the third boss from Shadow of the Colossus, the one that's like on a giant stone pedestal in the middle of a lake with like a giant, mm-hmm. like stone club. It's basically just that dude, but in, he's walking around like this, this cloud sea. But like when you first get to the to the mirror sea, you, you're kind of cut off from the actual main area where you're gonna do like the remnant fight and stuff. It's like Mario Galaxy having an existential crisis. Like you're this, like, there's like all this floating wreckage above you of like these ships and like a couple intact ships, and you're having to find ways to like activate rails so you can like get into the sky 
and like land on like this wreckage that's like floating around and you have to get into the ship. Um, and all, all this while like below, you can see below you, there's no fall damage or anything. And I fell quite a few times. Um, but I've never played like anything that looks or feels quite like this. Um, I would say this is like the coolest game of the year, hands down, at least that I played. It's also probably like contender for just coolest game ever, period. Um, like the Tony Hawk comparisons, like it sounds goofy, but it, it really is like Tony Hawk with like a, like a campaign. Well, like Tony Hawk does have a campaign, but you know, like an adventure. Um, like the, the, the actual platforming that you're doing, it's like, basically just super bite-sized chunks of like rail grinding or like acrobatics through the air or time challenges that it it's basically just Tony Hawk in outer space. Um, I think the only thing, well, there's two things. I was a little let down, little let down by the soundtrack, uh, disaster piece. Absolutely love their music. Uh, mm. Hyper light drifter, incredible soundtrack Fez. I don't even like the video game Fez, but, the soundtrack is amazing. Um, not even getting into their, their film score career was a little let down by the music in this. Um, the main theme that I still really remember is like when you get to the final phase of any of the boss fights, it starts this like super synthy, like, I don't even know how to describe it score. I don't even know if there's a theremin in it, but in my memories, there's a theremin in it. And it's really, really cool. Um, and I understand, you know, they're going for more of an atmospheric soundtrack, and that's that's fine. I, I just, you know, I went into this expecting, oh, the next disaster piece soundtrack that I'm going to listen to on like car rides and stuff is in here, but no, this isn't really that. Um, the game is a bit buggy. I had one major issue, like the before the very end of the game, where um, the the final remnant you fight that isn't the final boss is a flying one and you have to like launch yourself into the air and land on him it's a really simple thing because when you get back to that area there's like a brief cutscene showing you that these things are active that will launch you so i was like okay yeah i'll just go do that but they weren't activated like the cutscene happened in my game but they weren't activated so I kept trying to launch off them and it didn't, like, what was supposed to happen wasn't happening. It sent me in the air, but the boss wasn't coming over. So I skated around the sea for like 20 minutes, not knowing what I was doing wrong, trying to Google things, couldn't find anything. Eventually I just, I fast traveled back to that area, just reset the world basically, and it worked just fine. So not a game breaking thing by any means, but very frustrating. Um, a lot of little things, little bugs of like, oh, that doesn't feel like that should have happened right there. Um, I think the biggest fault that I would put on this game, and if this was fixed, it would probably be a perfect video game. You know, there's there's this subgenre of games called, you know, uh, what a flow state. Like, where when everything is going right, you feel amazing. And, like, that is the case here, especially during the, the Remnant fights but it feels so trial and error at times and that's not always a bad thing i don't necessarily mind that type of gameplay and like the punishment isn't bad here like even during the remnant fights like it's not like you die and the boss gets its health back like you just start back at the start of that section it still has lost whatever life it's lost but 
it, it, it felt like it was missing something in terms of like, I don't know if the timing was too strict or something, but it, it, it lost me as a flow state game at times. And that's a shame because when the flow state was going, it was one of the best, one of those games I've ever played in my life. Yeah. Um, it's funny cause yeah, this is probably going to be, end up being my number two game of the year, but I did have, you know, multiple issues I wrote down and, and yeah, like you talking about the glitches, there was one where I just jumped into the air to try to kill an enemy and I slashed through the enemy and I just randomly ended up in a empty rectangular room with no exit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I literally just had to restart the game um, from my last checkpoint, but it's like, yeah, just weird stuff like that. Uh, I found sometimes like the rails were very sensitive. Like it was yes. easy to just like have the rails send you in the opposite direction you wanted to actually go. Yep. And the, um, the jumping as well, like especially if you were skating and then you wanted to go into a jump to get to a, you know, a platform or something. So the, the jumping felt a bit erratic. Like sometimes it would feel like you got some pretty good vertical and then other times you barely got off the ground. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, my, my, my other complaint as far as the boss fights, I noticed there was occasional like camera angle issues with yeah. the, especially if you were doing like the grap the grappling moments where you had to sort of, you're, you're kind of having to alter the camera to, to be able to see where you're supposed to grapple to. And sometimes I noticed the camera was just like in a position where, Oh, it's just, there's, I had no chance to succeed in that moment. Yeah. There's a general lack of polish and it makes sense because hyper light drifter, we keep talking about that game on this podcast and I really want to play hyper light drifter again, but mm-hmm. That was their previous game, and that game felt like polished to a sheen. Like uh, there, I have no complaints about Hyper Light Drifter at all. Whereas uh, this game is so much bigger in scope, and so while I do have issues with it, and I get why the reviews for this were more lukewarm than I would have given it, I would rather reward ambition and and trying something new than just polishing the same old thing to a shine, even though, again, I really do like that too. Um, but I really feel like Solar Ash got, um, I don't know, got, got kind of shortchanged in the review scheme and stuff, and coming out in December was bad for it too. And yeah, I think this might be the, this and Glyph were the games I wish more people had played this year. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's one of those things where, yeah, I the, I've played other games that I didn't have as many you know, technical issues with, but they didn't reach near the highs of, right. of solar ash. So that, that's what I would say is like, I, I would rather play a game where the best moments are, you know, super memorable and, and super immersive. And again, this is a very unique game, something I don't feel like I've ever played anything like it. Right. Um, and, and yeah, like the, the other thing I will mention too is, I never really felt like lost or, you know, uh, the game gives you a mechanic where you can just press a button and it shows you, okay, these are the locations where like there are mini boss parts or this is where a SID base is where you can like regenerate your health. Uh, so that, that was also a nice thing where I never felt like I was spending a lot of time just meandering. Sometimes I did just for the fun of it. Yeah. But when, you know, if I ever felt like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing, I could just press that button and go. 
Now that doesn't that doesn't mean to say that it was just like telling you exactly what to do. It tells you right. to go to an area and then you have to solve it from there. But uh, yeah, I I was pretty blown away by this game and and yeah, it's it's the most recent game that I've finished, so it's very fresh on my mind. But yeah, I I loved it. Yeah, I absolutely love this game. It was really really cool. And yeah, more people should probably give it a shot. And yes, I understand. I do think Wilkins at forty dollars is like a little steep for it. It's a pretty short mm-hmm. game. Um, I think, yeah, like 12 hours or something, maybe even less. Um, oh, and one quick thing, uh, I, after I beat it, I tried putting it on the high, the highest difficulty and I was just, no, I couldn't beat the first boss and that's coming from me and I, I love three platformers. I was just like, no, I'm good. That's fucking brutal. <laughs> yeah, I think it's gonna be like next time this comes on sale. I think y'all do a really good job of like you know pointing out obviously that this game is flawed. Like everything we've talked about on this, you know, this podcast, even these these are game of the years. There's a lot of good to be had here, and with maybe uh, a couple patches, this could be a you know with on the performance side, you know, not without there's some issues here that there's a great game, if not a fantastic game, just underneath all this. Right, and who knows where what that situation is in a couple months after some patches. Right, exactly. So, guys, we've ran over three or about three hours at this point. So um, I know we, we wanted to get to some honorable mentions. Who wants to get us started here? Uh, I'll just go. I'll, I'll run through my uh, – I Boogs also briefly here. I added a th- – can I talk about – I'm just going to I'm just gonna literally say the three that I want to do and just be done. Is that cool to be like, yep, really yeah. like this, 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 and this, and just call it? Sure. I mean, I, I don't know if, if you wanted to have like a small back and forth with us, we can do that. Uh, cool. So, uh, yeah, I wanted to list up three games here. Um, yeah, I, uh, really enjoyed, I just wrapped up Psychonauts 2. Um, I think this has been kind of the year of the throwback platformer between Kenna, Ratchet, and this. I feel like Psychonauts 2, again, a game that definitely doesn't deserve to be as good as it is. The game has a lot of heart. Um, I'm a little lost on a couple of the story beats just because I didn't play the first game. And even though the, I think they do a good job of explaining and catching you up on the first game, um, great, great soundtrack. All A lot of like 50s surf guitar and like big band stuff. Um, really unique worlds, just kind of crazy visually at what they were able to achieve. Definitely worth checking out. I, I hope more people play that. Um, it's free on Xbox Live. Uh, I also feel like both of y'all would really enjoy that. Um, XO1, which I don't think is available anywhere outside of Game Pass and the PC, where you play kind of like the way y'all talked about Lyft, where you play a essentially a spaceship that can morph and change, and it's like discus, but you it's like a physics-based platformer with some very weird haunting story elements in these sort of alien worlds where it's all about building momentum up and rising and falling and changing your shape to get across this very barren alien world. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only a couple hours long. I had a blast with it. It beat it in one sitting. Um, one of the weirder, unique games, uh, there was a bunch of story elements that went way over my head. Um, <laughs> and there's a bunch of explanations on YouTube that I haven't checked out. I kind of wanted to sit with my own thoughts before checking into that. And lastly, uh, again, another Xbox Game Pass game is Sable, which uh, Japanese Breakfast did the music to, and sort of a uh, interesting Breath of the Wild-like with way less combat. There's no combat, actually. Uh, exploration game about um, living on this desert planet. One of the most visually stunning things I've ever seen. Some of the best atmosphere in a game. Um, definitely ran into some performance issues and a little disappointed by that, but really, really great overall. And I'd love to talk about that, uh, at some other point, but I think another game that just deserves 
a lot of praise for doing some really unique stuff. I don't think I even ever really heard of Sable. I know the name, but I had no idea that Japanese Breakfast did the soundtrack for it, for sure. Yeah, Jay Brecky uh, came through, and it, it, it's a really uh, – if you like the chill elements of Breath of the Wild mixed with some really interesting dialogue, is really fascinating, really, really well written. Um, and it's all about collecting – getting these parts to get these masks as you're going from being like sort of a teenager into adulthood in this – is sort of um, very Dune-esque tribe out in the uh, – and you have a motorbike that you have, like, a spiritual connection with that you can customize. It's a really interesting game, and it's a lot about, like, helping other people in these sort of sane communities and, like, in this sort of post-apocalyptic world with some very, again, cryptic world-building. And I couldn't experience a lot of it because of some game-breaking bugs, which is really sure. a bummer. Yeah, that sucks. All right, Matt, you want to go next with uh, with your list? Sure. Most of my list is just uh, DLC for last year's game. So if you listen to last year's podcast, you'll recognize these. Uh, Animal Crossing New Horizons Happy Home Paradise. Um, my wife and I you know, think we each put, well, I don't think we each put hundreds of hours into Animal Crossing New Horizons in 2020, put significantly more time into it in 2021 with this update in DLC. Uh, it, it's fantastic. It made me, I, you know, with Animal Crossing, I never got super into the decorating aspect of these games before. Um, but watching my wife play so much of it really made me interested in it. And, uh, I got super duper into it. I made a cafe that I spent two hours of complete silence working on next to my wife. And I knew I had a hit on my hands when I, I said, I'm done. And I showed it to her and she actually said, wow, that's really good. Um, She's the Animal Crossing master, so that's huge, huge praise coming from her. Uh, Streets of Rage 4, Mr. X Nightmare. Uh, I already loved Streets of Rage 4 last year. One of my favorite games ever at this point. After this update, this is like a top 10 game ever made to me. Um, added four new characters, added a whole new, like, rogue light light mode where you just see as far, how far you can get. And that's also how you unlock new moves for every single character. Super cool. Uh, the only thing missing, I would have liked to see more actual story campaign levels added, but not a big deal uh, in the grand scheme of things. Um, Super Monkey Ball Banana Mania. I don't have a whole lot to say. It's a remaster slash remake of the first two Monkey Ball games. It's fantastic. Some small issues that kept it from getting to my top ten, plus I like to just do new games and not remasters and stuff, but if you like... Uh, Marble rolling games, physics-based platformer stuff. Monkey Ball is fantastic. Uh, lastly, real quick, Monster Hunter Rise. Uh, I'm kind of excluded it from my actual list because there's an expansion coming out this year that we will assuredly be talking about next year. Yeah, I, I did have a comment about uh, the, the Streets of Rage 4 DLC because, yeah, I uh, that made that game jump up my list quite a bit. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the survival mode is like my favorite way to just play the game in general now. I know you don't you didn't necessarily feel the same, but basically the survival mode is you get into a randomly generated room and you get certain weapons and you have to get through that room. And then once you beat all of the enemies, then it gives you like an upgrade, whether that's like electrified or fire based weapons mm-hmm. or you can get like uh, improved damage or you take less damage uh, you know so with each room you build up your 
basically your character's abilities. And I, I reached level 35, which I'm pretty proud of with uh, with the character Cherry. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that 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 has become one of my favorite thing favorite things to do. Just if I want to play a game and listen to a podcast or something like that. Yeah. Oh, and I should mention. Yeah, that survival mode had a whole new soundtrack done by T. Lopes, the comp- composer of Sonic Mania, and it is fantastic. Oh, wow. All right, so I'll get to my honorable mentions, only one of which is actually a 2021 game, but uh, uh, the first one I'll mention is that 2021 release, which is Mario Golf. Mm-hmm. Um, really short story mode, but I found it, you know, it was probably less than five hours total, but I found it to be really fun. It gives you a sort of a tutorial and you can build up your customized character. I built my guy up so that he has like a 250 yard drive, which is better than any of the base characters. By a lot. Um, Yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, there's uh, they, they added a free DLC to the game, which what added three new courses, I believe. Something like that. And they, did another update recently that just added a few more characters, including Shy Guy, which, I mean, come on, Shy Guy. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that, I mean, I don't really need to explain much. It's a Mario Golf game, but it, yeah. it was really fun. I enjoyed it. Um, a couple other games that I played a lot this year that aren't 2021 releases, one being Outer Wilds, which I believe was a 2019 game. Absolutely mm-hmm. loved it. it you know, a first-person sort of space adventure. It uh, has, like, a twangy guitar type of soundtrack that's really neat. Um, but it, it also, the game, the soundtrack knows exactly when to utilize, um, you know, music and then also when to utilize silence um, when you're you're exploring these vast planets. And there's, there's a couple neat areas. One is, like, a sand planet where it's, like, this cavern-type area with a bunch of different paths. And you have to read from other people that have traveled and and gone through these sort of tunnel-like uh, sand systems to safely get out of there because the sand is constantly rising. Uh, there's this whole other there's this whole um, planet called Dark Bramble. It's basically like this really foggy area with these giant statues that you're slowly maneuvering through. And then there's this giant creature that's in there that will eat you if you get too close to it. <laughs> But just some really immersive, really cool sci-fi experiences in that game. I, I really loved it. There's also a, apparently an expansion pack in 2021 called Echoes of the Eye, which I plan to get once I beat the base game completely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one I wanted to mention was Firewatch, which I believe this was a 2016 game. But it's like a it's a it's a first-person adventure. It, the game starts off with giving you sort of a, a background of your character's life. You um, you're in Boulder in 1975, and you you meet your eventual wife Julia there, and then you through like a dialogue section you pick like oh what kind of dog do you get? Do you decide to have kids? Do you let her take a a dream job that is you know a a, a hefty commute right? Um, and then you eventually fast forward to 1989 where you're taking a job as a a fire watcher in Yellowstone. And the the dialogue and the storyline is really fun. And also, again, it's just a very immersive sort of experience where you're you're out there in the in nature, in the wilderness. And um, yeah, it's it's a really, really fun game, a short game at that, too. A really quick, fun experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, Outer Wilds still haven't played it. I, I know I should. I'm sure I will love it when I eventually get to it. But, yeah, 
that's pretty high up my list of games I need to get to. And yeah, Firewatch, loved it back when I played it a few years ago. Um, yeah, the performances were great. I loved the atmosphere. Really, really great game. Yeah, Rich Rich Summer, which most people would know him from Mad Men, is the mm-hmm. is the voice of the lead character in that game. Um, but yeah, the uh, the Outer Wilds as well. I think I forgot to mention the the whole like actual flying mechanic is pretty challenging, but once you get the hang of it, it's it's really satisfying. Um, it's worth it's worth the the time and effort that it takes to sort of master those mechanics. Let's get to, I know, Murray, you wanted to sort of do a brief little rundown of some things that we are looking forward to in in 2022. Yeah, maybe a brief preview of uh, what you might hear on next year's podcast. Did you want me to go first? Yeah, go for it. Um, I'm not going to spend too long on any of this because the games we haven't played yet. But my number one most hyped for game is uh, Kirby and the Forgotten Lands. Not much to say. It's a 3D Kirby. Kirby's my favorite franchise. I, I cannot wait for that game. Uh, Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak. Expansion to Monster Hunter Rise. If it's anywhere near as good as Monster Hunter World Iceborne, it's going to be incredible. And then Elden Ring, which is basically open world Dark Souls 4. Those are hands down the three games I'm most looking forward to as of right now. All right, Wilkins, what, uh, what are you looking forward to? Um, I think it's for me, I, I'm really curious about the Pokemon trading card game is going to have a actual, like, modern adaptation on, uh, I think all major platforms, which oh, is I super, super that. exciting. Yeah, it was, I think it's, it's kind of fallen to the wayside, but I think that's something as somebody who buys Pokemon cards and doesn't play them, it'd be nice to check that out. Sure. Um, I'm very curious about Ever Crisis, the Final Fantasy VII retelling of the story through those little chibi side sort of stories, I think, is how that goes. I believe that's going to be free to play as I think well. So. And it's like a gotcha. There's a mechanic. It's a gotcha stuff, but yeah, it's, God, it looks love super, to see that. <laughs> it looks super cool, though. It looks really, really neat. Uh, and also, I think lastly, it would probably be Breath of the Wild 2 if that ends up coming out this year. Well, yeah, I, I totally forgot that you wanted us to do this, so I just quickly looked up some, some games. So I didn't, I didn't get Same. to look as much as I would have, but I guess Horizon Forbidden West, I still haven't actually uh, played or beaten Horizon Zero Dawn, so I'll have to go Good. through and do that. But um, uh, that's something I could see myself doing. Uh, I just recently purchased the Ali Ali Switch Stance um, and uh, plan on playing those, and I know Ali Ali World uh, is going to come out, I think, in a few months. Mm-hmm. Um, Splatoon 3, I don't know if they've officially listed that as this year, but if that comes out, I'm definitely interested in that one. And then uh, finally, this isn't necessarily something I'm looking forward to. I'm actually hoping this game crashes and burns, and it already has started to, but that's eFootball 2022. Um, I don't know if that's the, in the spirit of this podcast, Boo. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, I mean, the, the reason I want it to crash and burn is so that the, the team, the Konami team that makes the Pro Evolution soccer games goes back to doing that um, because wow. those have been some of my favorite sports games over the, the recent years. And their whole, uh, their whole strategy to make a free-to-play, cross-platform, cross-generation type of game has already seemingly failed. They tried to release a full game in November and they've already pushed it back now, I believe to April. But uh, yeah, this was, this was an absolute blast and hopefully we can 
continue to, to make tradition out, out of this uh, and, and have a third annual one for 2022. We're getting Jim on next year. Yeah, you guys have to play video games to get on this? I don't know if that's something you guys have seemed to have forgotten about. You have to actually play video games to be on this. But Yeah, maybe for, for each annual version, we'll have to continue to add one person. So by uh, yeah. by the 10th annual, this will be a 10-person pod. And, and and you add an hour length to each person. To every every person? Yes. Well, I won't be talking about one game, and then that's it. Motherfuckers will have <laughs> 10 minutes, and you got to get in there and get it done. Guys, I, I can't thank you enough for for coming on here and taking the time. This was an absolute blast. My throat is very dry. I, I had a blast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me uh, shoot the shit. Appreciate it. Yeah, it was really fun. Thanks for listening to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. Corbin Ford and Gary Bouguet here with you. And uh, just wanted to, to quickly say before we wrap up, uh, please subscribe, rate, and review Duncan Dynasty. We're on uh, we're on iTunes. We're on Spotify, wherever you get your, uh, your podcast. That is uh, much appreciated. You can find me on uh, Twitter, at Garrett Bouguet. Corbin, why don't you tell the people what you got going on? Oh, man, you can find me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. Uh, definitely make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. I mean, following me is just an afterthought here. But if you want some more NBA content from yours truly, uh, check out Round Ball Ramble. Um, it is my podcast. You can also find uh, the description uh, on my Twitter handle, on on, once you click on my Twitter handle. Uh, definitely check that out. And, uh, yeah, a bunch of other um, assorted pods. I love talking hoops just like my friend Gary does. So you know where to find me there. That's the main part to catch my work. Yeah, can't recommend Round Ball Ramble enough. Corbin does goes, does great stuff there, and I've appeared on it numerous times and uh, <laughs> hopefully will be uh, continuing to appear on it in the future. Again, we appreciate you all for listening and, of course, enjoy the next week in the NBA calendar.